me a hard time, man. Uh, Just uh, one of those things. You know, I, I wish you would save a little shit for the show so you could shit on things like you do. <laughs> you always got to shit on something, Mark Browner, but. Oh, that's true, but yeah, you know, I think you've been, you've been doing a pretty good job of shitting on stuff, so. Oh, I'm a big time <laughs> shitting on stuff kind of guy. Sure, why not? Believe me, there's plenty of, plenty of stuff out there to shit on. There is. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm having a love affair with myself as usual. So. Well, you know, why not? Ain't nobody else gonna have one with me. Oh, now you're breaking my heart. Oh no, <laughs> I you know, not to get into a long thing, but I you know I obviously if I wanted to be with someone, I could be with someone. Right. Probably. Yes. I'd have to just work really hard at it, but. I'm not particularly, I, you know, it, it just seems like a hassle. Yeah. You know, it, the, the only benefit would be someone might be here if I died and I, the body wouldn't rot for too long before someone would notice. But Well, that's always a plus. That, <laughs> it is a plus. Yeah, so it's always a, a good thing. That's a nice little but, plus. You know, sure, sure, sure. I don't, give a sh- I don't give a shit if they have to totally fumigate the apartment. I don't care. <laughs> well, them. yeah. Oh, obviously, you, you certainly wouldn't at that point. <laughs> be, yeah. It'd be, well, yeah. <laughs> you're pretty much, pretty much oblivious to everything. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, right. You know, they, I've I've thought that too. It's like, oh, it'd be horrible if I died and was in my apartment for a few days because I don't know. It'd probably be two or three days before work would call my mom or whoever, and I'd be like, uh, that's true. You know, and at that point, you know. Who cares? I well, mean, I don't want my mom to come in and find me dead and de- decomposing, but anyone else, I don't well, give that's a fuck. True. Fuck them. Yeah. I mean, you. I mean, you know, well, I'm sure I don't that want anyone close family or. After a week of not hearing from you, I'm certain that I would set off the alarm bells. Well, I got my I got my family trained. You know, when I got banned from Facebook for a week, after about three days, my sister yeah. sent me a text: "Are you okay?" Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. you haven't posted on Facebook for a f- couple days. Oh, well, there so you it's are. Like, okay, she's trained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's perfectly trained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, your your solipsistic puppet is perfectly trained. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, solipsism. Yes, exactly. What, what a wonderful mm. little piece of solipsism. Yeah. Um, hey, of okay. Course. I I need to I need to get a drink and I need to clear my throat. Okay. <coughs> um. So. Good. I don't know if you want to put on a little intermission music or you want to talk about <laughs> stuff while I'm gone, but I'll be back. We have. We haven't even started the show, and we're going to an intermission. Well, you can do if you want to do the intro while I'm gone. I'll be back in like thirty seconds. So, all right, give me a second. Sounds good. Girl from Ipanema, I don't know the words to this song or the melody for that matter. I haven't, my cold is over, I'm not hacking, but I still have a little bit of like, you know, flimminess. Yeah. And and flimminess is next to godliness. Of course. Because if there was a god, he would be a, a practical joker because he's the guy who gave you phlegm and snot and spit and farts and shit and piss. 
<laughs> he's either he's either a complete dick or a practical joker. I don't know which he is. Yes. Yeah, either doesn't exist or just complete fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> I true, you know, sometimes I think that that there was a creator and he, you know, like he was a scientist, like we have scientists. He made the world and then he got bored with it or he died or whatever and it just keeps going. Just cuz he made it and was around for a while doesn't mean that he couldn't have died and you know, we're just w- what's in someone's petri dish somewhere. That's true. And then there's there's the uh, theory that a lot of uh, philosophers have that, you know, we're just a simulation, you know, we're just a computer program or, you know, a very sophisticated computer program that's running in some very sophisticated computer. And we think that we've been around and that we are living lives, but it's just an amazing simulation. And uh, yeah, I don't so, believe that one. You know, I, I would believe that one before I believe in uh, some some being that lives outside of time and space that somehow popped uh, our universe into reality. Just seems weird. Right. The magic <laughs> man who lives in the sky, yeah. Right. But I, I, I think if there, you know, that whole extrapolation of we are computer program comes from, from thinking about peop- humans who create. Yeah. We could certainly, before well, we die off, we could certainly mm-hmm. create a race of of android type computers that could go on for a long time after us right which i'm sure some sci-fi writer has already done that scenario in a in a book or a play or a novel or something but uh you're probably right and you know there's a whole uh concept or or you know the the prediction that probably within the next 50 or so years we'll actually create true artificial intelligence that thinks and I don't know, feels or, you know, it's hard to say, but uh, it's actually self-awareness, I I guess, is the the true test of artificial intelligence. You know, I I think, therefore I am, etc. I mean, it's certainly possible that we could create a, a, I don't know what you would call it, a a race of beings that are artificial, that is artificial intelligence that might also, I I guess I always think of it existing on the three-dimensional physical plane, but I guess it could exist in some other way like cyberspace or, you know. Because I mean, if the, the yeah, I mean, if the simulation was, was that advanced, I mean, you know, us being inside of, you know, a program or a, a simulation, how would we know, you know, if, 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 if it was such a sophisticated, you know, it's hard to, hard to gauge, you know, I mean, hmm. we will, mm-hmm. we will all be immortalized as, as content, content. <laughs> in a series of tubes. Yes. A series of tubes. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the only thing we can know is is what we observe, and so I mean that's good enough for me. I mean, if if I think that I'm sitting in a room right now talking into a microphone, looking at the screen of my laptop, then that's good enough for me. Maybe I am in the matrix, but as long as I don't know that I'm in the matrix, should I care? Right. I mean, it's kind of the also the same thing of it's tough because it's like you know if if we're just in the matrix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then does it does it really matter if we do anything or yeah. you know because a, a lot of people well, believe the meaning of life is to help other people which is a great and noble thing but it really it's just like eh, you know 
Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily, I mean, if, if that brings somebody pleasure to help people, then I think they should do that. Um, you know, ultimately, it's, I, I think it should be about self-actualization, you know, trying to be the best person that you could possibly be and, and enjoy yourself while you're doing it. And if, you know, helping other people is, is, is part of that thing, then, you know, more power to you. If you can do it humbly, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, it, without, you know, you know, shoving it in other people's faces, sure. Right. I mean, yeah. Some people think that saving other people's souls and turning them into Christians is helping them. And that's, you know. Well, but that's. That's. Com- yeah, that's. that's com- not helping people. Right. That's completely well, debatable. I mean, I mean, that's just, you know. Right. Perpetuating a delusion. Exactly. Oh, did I say that? Some- Sorry. So <laughs> some people think that voting for Trump helps people, and uh, those people are completely me. detached from reality. <laughs> True. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, who are we uh, gonna bomb or threaten to bomb next week? Oh Jesus, it's a I nightmare. Mean, I mean, just a nightmare of. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Right now we're on the the brink of uh, you know cruise missileing. Um, North Korea. So what's next? Is it just going to be a, a constant game of wag the dog? It's like hey. uh, it's, I think it's more of a constant game of shaking dick. <laughs> well, it's, you know what I mean. Wag, it's, wag the dick. Yeah. Right. But Ooh, yeah. I'm big and powerful. Woo! Look how big my dick is. <laughs> I'm right. the president. It's like and how, you're not. It's like how can I distract people from uh, thinking about my crimes? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll distract him with bombs. Yeah, that's the Republican want, isn't it? I mean, that's, uh, the, that's yeah. the whole Republican mindset. I don't know what you call it when it's someone's complete and utter being. Oh, yeah. what do you, it, that's the whole Republican existence is let me do evil shit and, oh, I'll, I'll cause all this other drama so you don't even notice I'm doing all this other evil shit. Right. I mean, you know. Chaos, chaos is their their playing ground. Their that's their playground. Chaos. It is. Uh, yeah. The best thing that ever happened to uh, George W. Bush's administration was nine eleven. Oh, <laughs> well, possibly yes. I mean, in the <laughs> in the sense that you know his he stood up and beat his chest and said we're we're gonna get him. Uh, you know his popularity. We're gonna smoke him out. I mean, his popularity went from, you know, like, uh, you know, 40% to uh, 70% in that time period. And I'm not in any way uh, forwarding the conspiracy theory that, you know, the government had anything to do with 9-11. It it was purely terrorists, and I'm I'm not going to forward any uh, Alex Jones uh, conspiracy theories. Well, I will say this, and I've said it before. I truly believe that if Al Gore had been president, which he legitimately was, mm-hmm. then that 9-11 would not have happened. That wasn't an attack on America. That was an attack on the Bush family, in particular George Bush's father, who put his evil, bloody, dirty hand in the Middle East so much that they had they had every right to feel like they should retaliate some way when his son is elected president. Wow. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, you know. Yeah. But this is a show about pop culture. Oh, that's right. 
Luckily, we're still in the pre-show, so we have a little more leeway in that regard. Yeah, the pre-show can be about whatever. Yeah. But we should really start the show because I actually have a question I'm dying to ask you that is so important and so uh, everything hinges on this question, possibly our friendship. Okay. Oh, (laughs) Oh, wow. Damn. that, That sounds pretty fucking serious, bro. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. Okay. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I just bumped what my knee. Do? I just bumped my knee. Oh, mm. okay. It's your turn to do the intro. You got one ready? Uh, almost. I'm working on it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, while you're doing that, I'm uh, going to encourage everyone to um to uh, do what we do that uh, our friend uh, Vixen. Uh, started, and that is every time someone says fire in the hole, you should shout out loud right after, a love story! <laughs> yes, of I want course. That, <laughs> I want that to become a global thing. <laughs> if, if this podcast could accomplish nothing else, I yeah. just like it that whenever anyone says fire in the hole, the people around would yell, a love, a love story. story! You know, that's funny. Uh, over the years, every time I've heard fire in the hole, I do shout out a love story. Usually. Oh, I do too. It comes immediately to my, yeah. Well, I mean, of if course. I'm in at work, sometimes you can't. No doubt but, about uh, it, right? It's just the greatest thing ever. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think everyone should do. And again, if we can accomplish nothing else, that's, that's, you know, that's just about number one on my list of things I'd like to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a, a very admirable uh, wish and goal. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to, to watch Rick and Morty yet? No, but uh, uh, I, I came real close. Is that the show that takes uh, <laughs> actual court cases and uh, does a, a, or am I thinking of a completely different show? You're thinking of a completely different show. Okay, because there's a show with a similar higher- name. What am I thinking of? I don't know. What are you thinking of? I don't know. Takes actual court cases and does what with them? And does like tries a, them and does a simulation of them with uh, voice actors and cartoons. Oh wow! Yeah, they I an- have not even heard of that. They animate actual court cases with yeah voice actors and anim yeah animation. Well, now I need to know what the fuck that's called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, now you're interested. interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it yeah. was too. I just, I think I saw something on Facebook about it. Was blowing through it and then almost um, clicked on it, but somehow got distracted by something. Hmm. So I'll look. <sighs> I'll look into it. I'll look into it. Okay. Yeah. Let me know what that is, or someone listening can post it on Facebook if we forget about it. But. Um, okay. Rick and Morty's a, a cartoon, and it's like a scientist and his grandson, and they they he has a like a gun that lets him move between uh, dimensions. Right. And we talked about it a couple episodes ago, and yeah. And anyway, they had been teasing that the the third. It's been like two years since they put out any new episodes. Mm-hmm. They've been teasing the, uh, season three for a long time. Oh. And a couple weeks ago, I think actually it was on April Fool's Day, um, sh- showed the season three premiere. Uh, streaming for 24 hours on their on the com, on the Adult Swim website. Wow! And, hmm. and then they've showed it on TV a few times on Adult Swim since then. And I guess it's going to be summer before we see the rest of the season. Okay. But this is a slippery slope I'm sliding down. Yeah, here. you are. <laughs> um, well, what what made me think of that was in in the season three premiere 
the scientist Rick, yeah. uh, after being held prisoner and killing a bunch of people and doing all kinds of crazy things, uh, at the end he tells Morty, his grandson, that his whole reason for for his whole purpose is to find this um, Szechuan sauce for McNuggets that was that what? Came, that was. That was out when Mulan was released. And like he goes back in time and gets Szechuan sauce for his McNuggets from McDonald's by going back in time and all this stuff. Anyway, he's t- then he talks about how it's going to take nine years, Morty. It's nine seasons of this. But this ah. is my whole purpose to get. And I was like, yes, his, his whole purpose is to get the Szechuan sauce for his McNuggets. And my whole purpose is to get everyone to say fire in the hole. A love, a love story. story. <laughs> Well, I think that's an admirable goal, and uh, I hope we can make it happen. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. All right. And and anyway, are you ready to start the show? I am. Okay, cool. Let's do with this. All right. Yes. All right. Here we go. In three, two, one. Keeping podcasts weird from the live music capital of the world, Austin, Texas, the city that brought you Matt Dillahunty, The Beat Dolls, Valhalla, Angie Muncie, The Mohawk, Pataphysics, Gordos, and the world's largest urban population of Mexican free-tailed bats, it's a slippery slope with the dazed and confused Mark Browner and Lodger. <laughs> okay, I didn't know about three of the things that you said there. What was the very first one? Ma- Matt Dillahunty. You never yeah, heard? Who, who's that? He uh, is like the superstar uh, host of the Atheist Experience. On it used to be on Access TV, and now it's uh, a webcast TV show. Oh wow! And he's—I like, remember the atheist experience. Yeah, yeah. He's like an up-and-coming star in that world. It's like he's, you know, he's been hanging out with uh, all all the big atheist names. <laughs> uh, um, you know, uh, Richard uh, Richard Dawkins, that English guy, uh, that other. Uh, <laughs> That other guy, you know, uh, the one that always wears the hat. Yeah, and, uh, the guy, uh, <laughs> Lawrence Krauss. Um, sure. Daniel Dennett. So anyway, he, he has a lot of uh, YouTube videos as well on his own website. And, uh, you know, he's he's like, he's making his entire living from uh, being funded through a Patreon project for making videos online available and debating theists all over the world. So... Yeah, he's made a, quite quite a name for himself. Huh. I yeah. well, not with me, but now I guess I now I know. Okay. Well, <laughs> just um I tell you what, just go to YouTube and type in Matt Dillahunty, you'll get a a shitload of stuff. First, so, how do you hey. spell that? D I L L A H U N T E. That is correct. Exactly as it just sounds. Like it sound. Exactly, huh? that's right. Yeah. So what was the yeah. other what the other name you didn't know? Angie Muncie uh, probably. What is Val- how- I recognize that name. She's someone. She's she the, in some band or the 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 um yeah those girls of Satan's cheerleaders. No, 
She's she is the lead singer of the amazing band The Beat Dolls. It's a ah. a three piece punk band, and she is the lead singer. She's pretty amazing. You mentioned The Beat Dolls and Angie Muncie in the same intro. Yes. Because I like the Beat Dolls Damn. that much. Damn, dude. Just get a room. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, don't go there, Lodger. All right. There. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. You want to stay married, huh? Yes, I um, certainly and then, do. <laughs> <laughs> and then Valhalla? What the hell's Valhalla? Valhalla is a amazing dive bar on Red River. Oh, my God. It's like right across the street from Stubbs. More or less, and oh, is it the place that used to be? Um, Hobble used to play there, and the guy who owned it was like, what was the name of that club? Oh, the one that became. Oh, I don't oh, even. You're probably thinking of the one that uh, uh, became the uh, steampunk bar, but no, that's not the place. <laughs> no, I know the one that's the steam. No, it's a it's a live music venue. It used to be you walked in the entrance door and there was like a, a square bar and you had to walk over oh. and behind it and back over to the other side to where the stage is. Club DeVille? No. Because that's where Chirp Charlie's is now, right? Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, it's right across from what used to be Red-Eyed Fly. I don't even know what the place that used to be Red-Eyed Fly is called now. But yeah, Valhalla, yeah, I I think it's been there quite a while. I mean, it's well. I mean, it is about as divey as divey can get. It's got kind of a, a curved bar. When you right when you walk in, the bar is like round. There's like a big round bar, and so it's really cool when you're sitting with friends having drinks, and you know you have several people sitting next to each other. You're not one person isn't blocking any anybody else. It's almost like you can see everybody that you're hanging out with without you know having to uh, get off of your seat. And uh, hmm. they have uh, signature cocktails that they make, but it's but it's really just a real divey bar with a bunch of albums, like hundreds of albums on the walls. I mean, all over the place. I mean, it literally is hundreds of albums, and they have old pinball machines and video games in an upstairs area in a back room. It is. We got to go sometime. You're, you will fall in Apparently. love. You will fall in love with huh. Valhalla. Yes. How come I haven't been invited there? You know, that's you know, it's only been a couple of times that we've been there, and it's only been when friends of ours have invited us to go, and we're like, huh, well, we forgot about that place, or you know, the first time we went there, it was like, how come we never knew about this place? It's crazy. So. Just one of those places that it's it's definitely worth just hanging out. If like say if you're gonna go to a show at Stubbs or something and you you get there early and you just want to have a quiet drink beforehand, go to Valhalla. I think it's it's the perfect perfect scenario before a show. They don't um they don't have live music there. Um I've never seen it. Now they may do it, but I I definitely haven't seen it. Yet, and I don't even know okay. if I, I saw anything listed, but I could be wrong because I've only been there maybe two or three times. So, oh, okay, yeah. Well, I'm gonna ask, and when I'm listening to back to the show after you post it, I'll that will prompt me to get online and go to Google Maps and and see where it is because right, I, I don't don't recognize. I'm sure I've been there. You know, I've been to every bar in Austin. It's not called what it was when I went there, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been I've been to every bar in this town just about. Yeah, I'm almost thinking that 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 place has been there for at least 10 years. Yeah, 
you know, Hobble used to play at this place, uh, and it's a it's almost directly across from where Red Eye Fly used to be, and. Uh-huh. I can't remember what it was called now. It was something like it was like seventh. It's between seventh and eighth, I think. And so it was called something like seven one seven or seven seven. I I don't remember. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, the place that I'm talking about is is on Red River proper. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah, that's what that's what this bar was. It was on Red okay. River between seventh and eighth Street. Oh. Okay. Um, and I can't remember what's even. It's right next to um uh, the Irish pub that's there. It's right next door to that Irish pub. Bull McCabe's? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bull McCabe's, and then right next to that was the, um, oh shit, what is it? Isn't that the one that became the steampunk bar? I don't think so. On the other okay. side, on if you're facing Bull McCabe's, you're talking about the bar on the right-hand side on the corner. That's the steampunk bar, I think, right? Right, which used to be, I can't even remember what that was called now. Used to be called like Tiki Lounge or something. Uh yeah, but before something yeah, it was one of those one of those bars that yeah. was on Bar Rescue yeah, and then they uh, and that the guy who does that show in his infinite wisdom thought that making it a steampunk bar would be the thing that saved it. Well, I don't think it did because I yeah. think that you know I think it was Leather and Lace a steampunk bar, and I think it's closed now. Right, I think so too. Although I yeah. think there's something there still. I'm talking about when you're facing Bulma Caves to the left. Bull McCabe's yeah. to the left of Bull McCabe's. There's a bar there. They have live. They used to have live shows there. It was called something like Club Seven One Seven. Hobble played there a bunch of times because the guy who owned it and Uriah were friends. Okay, the address. Um, the address is Seven Ten Red River. That's the oh. that's the bar. Oh, was so it called Seven Ten? Yeah, it was called Seven Ten. Yeah, oh. it was called the Seven Ten. I believe. Oh, okay, well, shit. There you go, man. And I thought okay, it, I I've thought, been in that bar. I like that bar. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it looks like it's been like that forever, and maybe it, maybe when it was seven ten, they had the albums on the wall also. But, no, uh, nope, it was just all black, and I think had paintings up. Oh, and, really? Okay, but, so. But the but what was cool about it was the bar was kind of a, a big rectangle, and you mm-hmm. walked in the door, and the right. bar was to your left. Yep. And you could just stay on that side and, right. and hang out. Mm-hmm. But then they would have shows over on the other side, so you would walk back to the end of the bar, past mm. the bathrooms, and then and then pay cover to go in the other side where the bands were playing. But if you just wanted to hang out on the other side and listen to the bands and not be in the right there where they were playing, you could do that without paying the cover. Right, yeah, because it's, it's not like there are any big barriers. It's it's all open, so that's right. wild. Right, hmm. but you know. Okay. If you wanted to support the band and well, go true. over and hang out by the stage, then you'd pay the cover, which of course I always did to see Orion then play. And I saw, yeah, we saw other bands play there too a lot. I can't remember who else I ever saw there, but I saw hmm. a few other bands there. Okay. As well. Yeah, I don't. I don't anyway. think. I don't think I ever remember seeing anything there. All right. Maybe you never went with me to go to a, a hobble show there. It's possible. Maybe not there. Yeah, I know we've we've gone to see a few. We had gone to see a few hobble shows together. But yeah, maybe not there. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Hobble played there a lot. Anyway, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I've got a burning question. I've got to ask you, and oh. and the fate of of existence hinges on your thoughts on this. Wow. Whose existence no. or what? The, the existence of the world? The, the, whether we're, yeah, the whole, you know, mm-hmm. everything, this whole, this question is the whole world. It's okay. the whole world, man. All right, let's hear okay. it. Okay. 
Are you familiar with the song Break My Stride by Matthew Wilder? Uh, it's from like... Ain't nothing gonna break like my stride. Ain't nothing gonna hold, mm-hmm. slow me down. Oh no, I got oh, to no. keep on moving. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. That's the one. Okay. Everyone knows that song, right? Right. Yeah? Yes. Would you, would you call that a new wave song? Hmm. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um... Maybe. Uh, I mean, it's it's got a very it's, it's got a very um, ska feel to it, which you know doesn't preclude it from being new wave. But uh, you know, I, I think if you're looking at a uh, a Venn diagram of everything, it I think there's some overlap between uh, new wave and 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 what that song is. Yeah, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding with you. But it's funny because uh, uh, I, I saw I have a book. I think we've talked about it on the show that I've been reading off uh-huh. and on for a while. That's called The Encyclopedia of New Wave. Yeah. And I wrote it down. It's by a guy named Daniel Buxpan, B-U-K-S-Z-P-A-N, Bugspan, I guess. All right. Anyway, um, um, he lists Matthew Wilder in The Encyclopedia of New Wave. And I'm just like, one, he only had one song that anybody knows. And two, that song <laughs> right. is that song. In my opinion, is not new wave. Never in a you know, as a as an enthusiast and knowledgeable person about the genre new wave music. Yeah, that song is not a new wave song. That song is a pop song and a pretty horrible one at that. Uh, yeah, I'm. I mean, it definitely so, has kind of a um a Jamaican style and beat to it, which actually I just never even considered that song because mm-hmm. I, I don't like it for one thing. I've never liked it. I've never thought it was good. And I've always considered right. it kind of a well it's yeah. A soft adult contemporary pop wimpy piece of shit song. <laughs> <laughs> you know well, yeah. I, just, I mean it's 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 certainly, you know, if somebody says, Hey, I've got tickets to go see Andrew Who Matthew Wilder. Matthew, see, I didn't even know his first name. Matthew Wilder. All right. Uh, back in the day, I don't think I would have said, oh, yeah, let's go. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah. It's just like there are some people that think uh, Shattered Dreams by Johnny Hates Jazz is a new wave song. And I'm like, no, that is not a new wave song. Could you hum a few um, bars? Because <laughs> you're giving me, giving me nothing but Shattered Dreams, Shattered Dreams. Hmm, okay. Yeah, you don't even know that song. It's no, I do, I do know that song. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, but I don't consider that. Yeah, I mean, wave. I mean, it's not like, yeah, I mean, it, it it's, it's definitely not in the same uh, ballpark as, say, the Go Go's or Flock of Seagulls or The Fix or, you know, all of those bands that are, you know, 100% definitely, you know, new wave bands. Uh, right, but, right. But they, they're they're kind of like you know the the turds on the edge of the uh, the the bowl kind of thing. They, the, <laughs> s- some of the um, some of the arrangements maybe kind of touched on or dabbled in new wave, but the the message of the songs certainly were you know more pop songs. That's that's true. I mean, I I, yeah. I can't deny yeah. that. That's why I equivocated when I answered your question about. Right, you know, Matthew. Well, you knew the fate of our our friendship was hanging on the answer. That's why. 
Not only wouldn't that, it was just one of those things, you know, trying to put, I was trying to put my head back in, you know, that period of time and what did those songs excite me? And I think, you know, both of those songs, you know, never excited me. So, but I mean, right. You could stretch it and say, yeah, they're kind of, you know, the, the last hangers on of, you know, of new wave or, or, you know, just had their fingernails on the edges of it, but they certainly weren't. You know, if I were to compile a list, I certainly wouldn't have put those songs yeah, in, the, in the grouping. I wouldn't put it if I wrote the New Wave Encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia of New Wave. I would not put that mm-hmm. song or that artist in there. But it's you know, now that we're talking about it, what just struck me as funny is like another song that's similar to that mm-hmm. that I do consider New Wave is. Do you know the song "Breakout" by Swing Out Sister? Uh, Breakout, don't. Don't blah, blah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember blah, that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I love that song, and I consider that song kind of new wave. So maybe well, um, kind of. So yeah. yeah, yeah, way more than break my stride or uh, oh god, even just saying the name break my stride gives me anger <laughs> feelings. Well, uh, it's, or I, shattered dreams. Maybe it's because it's it's too optimistic of a song. You know well, what I'm saying? Uh, <sighs> Yeah, not, maybe um, that's well, it. Well, uh, it's but, just but, but too. Sh- yeah, you're right. It's too fucking happy. It's too happy. Right. It's like saying "Don't worry, be happy" is a new wave song. Yeah. I mean, don't worry, uh, don't worry, be happy. I guess you could call that an alternative song because it's certainly not like other pop music. But what? I don't consider it new wave or. Don't worry, be happy by Bobby McFerrin. Alt- oh. Okay. Yeah, I don't consider. <laughs> I consider no. that a pop song. I don't consider it an alternative song. Even though yeah, I've, that, it's not a normal pop song. Right. Yeah, I don't even know what to call that. What would, you know, uh, Calypso. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it's a, to me, I always it's, think of it as an acapella song because yeah. Bobby McFerrin does everything with, with his voice. He doesn't use any instruments. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what's, so what, I, I just consider it an acapella song. Well, that's true. But he, his influences are definitely, what's, what's the Jamaican style of music? What do you call that? Reggae? Yeah, it's that's more of a, of a reggae tune, kind of a poppy reggae tune. As the I way guess you could say that, especially the beat, you know, you know, it's kind yeah, of a yeah. dun, 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 dun. Here's the little song I wrote. Something, something, <laughs> note <laughs> for <laughs> note. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, that's definitely reggae. Be happy. That's definitely a reggae beat. <laughs> And I think Break My Stride is, is, is almost a reggae song. It's funny that you say that because I never even thought of that as being reggae or ska influenced. I, and I guess yeah. it is a little, but, well, you know, it's certainly not the, the specials. No, no. I mean, the specials are a whole different category. Yeah. You know, you've. Yeah, but it's amazing how much. How much music was influenced by reggae in the 80s? I mean, certainly the police were heavily reggae influenced. I mean, a lot of the song, their songs have that reggae beat Absolutely. as well. Uh-huh. For sure. I mean, that's no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, it, it's funny because the punk movement and the reggae movement, especially in England, were, were very similar because it was about, you know, people, oh, yeah. people feeling disaffected in the society they live in. There were a lot of, you know, Jamaican immigrants in England in the early 80s that were, you know, treated as third-class citizens and you know the the punks at the same time you know felt like there were no opportunities you know no future so you know you can see how those those two cultures could intermingle with you know i i think 
somebody should do a documentary about that, about the intermingling of you know punk and um, reggae and and the two cultures. I mean, maybe I've, so because yeah. there's certainly um, there's certainly documentaries and, and and films about the whole two tone movement ska movement in England. Well, that's true. Yeah. But so there isn't mm-hmm. there aren't any that that explore it further with bands I don't I'm yeah. sure there are others you could name besides the police who took that influence and right. extrapolated something more out of it or something different out of it. Yeah. Now, granted you're you're not going to see the skinhead punks uh, uh, <laughs> intermingling with with reggae, but that's a whole different story. Uh, right. Yeah. So, they didn't intermingle with anybody, really. No, no. They just they just wanted to romper stomp, man. Yeah. And that and, you know, so much uh, so much crappy music, in my opinion, grew out of that of that whole kind of hardcore. Yeah. Punk movement. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. It led to things. Led to things like Corn and Metallica. Well, that's true. Yeah, I'm, you know. Eventually, mm-hmm. yeah. I was never, you know, I was a, a never a, a real heavy guitar. Like if a band was didn't have keyboards, I was much less likely to be interested in them. Mm. Um, okay. You know, like even even the Sex Pistols, who I love now, and I think Nevermind the Bullocks is one of the greatest punk new wave records of all time right um when it when when i first had it as a teenager mm-hmm. i didn't listen to it that much because it was just a little too much guitar there were no keyboards on it and and i which i yeah. consider new you know a it, new wave you got to have a keyboard you can't right. be a new wave band without it well you can but it's hard to be a new wave band without a keyboard sure i mean punk punk was hard and harsh and definitely heavy on guitar and, and power chords played on guitar and certainly yeah new wave was was a sort of offshoot of punk but yeah definitely more obviously keyboard well, more driven poppy for sure more and, more poppy right i say too you know Ab- absolutely I don't, more poppy um yeah more keyboards less heavy hard power chords on played on guitar yeah definitely and i mean it isn't that there weren't some bands that were you know um <clears throat> Guitar oriented that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the Ramones. Sure. I just, you know, I like the Pistols. I right. just didn't listen to them as much as I did other bands. I, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, and and then two for me to be considered punk or new wave as well. It's, there's got to be an element of quirkiness in there somewhere, you know. I was, yeah, I was actually thinking about about the song, um, right, Pablo Picasso by I when it was covered by Burning Spear, and I was like, mm-hmm. I think it's Burning Spear that does that on Repo Man, and I'm okay. like, it's a real heavy guitar song, but it's so different and it's so quirky that mm-hmm. it's it's I consider it a great new wave song. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I guess New Wave was the was the first post-punk movement and so it you know almost in a yeah. way it, it's almost kind of a a response to punk, you know. New Wave also sort of became a catch-all for all those bands that were yeah. different and new, unique that didn't fit other genres per se. I mean, That's you know, true. There, there's whole and there's all kinds of subgenres of new wave. There's power pop, and there's, uh, you know, um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. But there's like, you <laughs> okay. know, whatever you would call whatever you would call Devo, uh, which right. is almost like electronica, but it's not exactly electronic. But mm-hmm. you know, there were just all these well, different elements yeah. of 
of new wave that a lot of times bands that couldn't get classified got classified as new wave. Well, I mean, I would call pa, you know, pa, pa Ubu a, a, a new wave band and, and Ubu, they're yeah. completely different from, yeah. Oh so, yeah. I mean, you know, in a way, Perubu, you know, has more of a, a punk feel, at least in attitude, but maybe in sound, sounds more like new wave. Is that even, right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, I mean, well, and, you know, and, another thing, too, sometimes is to be classified as new wave as opposed to punk. If it had a beat and you could dance to it, it was a little bit more mm-hmm. new wavy than punky. You know, I mean, you could right. go to, to punk, but, sure, y- you know. Of course. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, pogo was the a toned down version of slam dancing, also known as right, yeah. moshing. Uh, right. By today's Eventually. parlance, yeah. 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 Eventually um, became uh, moshing and and led to the mosh pits and that kind of thing. Right. This all re- this all reminds me of one of the other things I wanted to mention was mm-hmm. I, I think it was just last um, a couple episodes ago I was talking about we were talking about Wikipedia and I was talking about how I had um, edited a page about a Sean Cassidy album called Wasp that was a new wave record, right? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I definitely and, remember uh, that. Listening to that show a couple, last week, I, I was like, oh, I wonder if all the things I put on that Wikipedia page are still there. Right. And so I, you know, I pulled it up on my browser, and sure enough, most of the things I had put in there were still there. And then someone had added at the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, this, this was released on CD in 2012. Now, I've been looking for this record on CD forever. And I found some people who online had ripped it off of vinyl and posted it and downloaded it. Uh, but uh-huh. I wanted this. I I wanted the CD, and right. I'll be goddamn damned if I didn't go to Amazon and there it was for I think eleven ninety nine or something on CD. Hmm. So I fucking bought it. So, so <laughs> okay, I, yeah, I think so, I saw you had posted something regarding that. Your picture of you holding it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It came, you know, came in the mail after two days, and so nice. of course I got got home and put it in the CD player and started listening to it. Um, and I hadn't really listened to it for uh, a couple of years. Um, and mm-hmm. it's a great record. It's produced by Todd Rundgren. It's very quirky. He covers um, Bowie's "Rebel Rebel" on it in a way that's really cool. Oh. Um, he it's he covers the Talking Heads, the book I read, um, and hmm. Ian Hunter's "Once Bitten, Twice Shy," and um, the Animals' "It's My Life." Um, wow. And it seems like there's one couple there's a couple other covers on there too it's a and it's mostly covers it's six covers and four originals written by todd rundgren oh okay hmm all right and the title track and performed track by is, sean cassidy well the band is is todd rundgren and utopia but mm-hmm. it's it's a sean cassidy album mm-hmm. and he's the singer on it yeah right absolutely okay and it's great. It's great. The 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 Rebel Rebel cover is really interesting. It has like a break towards the end where he recites the lyrics to "He's a Rebel," the mm-hmm. old '60s song. You know, they call me a rebel. I've never been any good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because hmm. we don't do what everybody else does. But um, there's the title track is called Wasp. You know, that's a, the name of the album. Yeah. And it's a Todd Rundgren song, and it's got this kind of wild, um, dancey, uh, keyboard-infused style to it. Mm-hmm. And 
and Cassidy is like, uh, hey, is that hey, cowboy and all this stuff. And then there's a there's a there's a line where there's a segment where he's like, hey, is that you? You're looking mighty new wave. I hardly recognized you with that shish kebab through your face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's yeah, uh, that's just weird. It's yeah, it's one of my. It is one of my I mean, I put it in and I and it was just like being a teenager. I bought, you know, it came out in 80. I was 17. I, you know, I put it in when I got it last week and it was just like I was just as excited as I was when I was 17. It was so it's just great. I loved it. I, wow. I, I listened to it about five times this week and hmm. it's just a fun album. And to me, it's very much like if you want if someone was like, I don't know what new wave is. That's the one of the records I would put on. It's just very new wave. Oh really? Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Very, yeah. very keyboardy. Okay. When? 80s. Okay. When did it come out originally? 1980. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was. It right was at an, the height. Yeah. It was an honest new wave. It wasn't necessarily derivative. Yeah. Other than you know having some cover tunes on it, but. Uh, well, I mean, okay. you know. I mean, they took these songs that I mean, and some of the like there's a cover of one of my favorite songs on there is there's a cover of a song called Shake Me, Wake Me, which was by the Four Tops. Mm-hmm. Everybody's done that song. But um, the the version that's on that album is just uh, one of those songs that uh, it, it kind of in a way it kind of defines me as a person. I mean, that's like a signature song for me, the way that wow. particular version. Yeah. You know, I had no idea. I know you had this album. I believe hanging on your wall in uh, your apartment, or at least one of your apartments that you lived in. But I, you know, I thought That's it was right. it was just more of a novelty for you than something that actually was significant to you. So, okay, I've learned yeah. something. Well, you know, I guess in a way, it's very kitschy and very. Mm. Um, you know, um, it's kind of campy, okay. and I could certainly see where someone could dismiss it if they wanted to just be like, oh, you know, for one thing, it's Sean Cassidy, Teen Idol, and right. it's like a new wave album. It's like a – what do they call It's like a novelty record, you know? If somebody was like, oh, it's yeah. just a novelty record. Right. I, I mean, cause... okay, I, you know, it, I will concede those things. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, But to me, it's a – you know, I'm kind of fascinated with – New wave and when when um, established rock stars did new wave songs, Alice Cooper did a song called um, Clones. I don't know if you remember that song. Um, um, can't that say that I do. Really, uh-huh. really new wavey. I mean, Elton hmm. John did a song called um, uh, I Am Your Robot uh, that in around 1980. That's very new wavey. Yeah. I mean, even Bowie, you know, Lodger is certainly kind of a new wavey record. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, in fact, the other day I was going through trying to think of of different bands who had done um, kind of new wave songs that were established rock bands. Rush did a song called Vital Signs on Moving Pictures that was kind of a new wave song. Um, And I don't know. I I, I, that's always I just always love that kind of stuff. I, I like cover versions. I like. Uh, uh, when when established artists do something different, even if they are trying to uh, f- work their way into the current fad of music or whatever, right? It's always kind yeah. of interesting to me. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, they're you know when when it comes down to it, they're they're running a business and they they need to tap into what's hot at the moment, and you know they may. You know, try to jump on the old bandwagon and 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 tap into that uh, you know gravy train. Well, K- 
Can you blame I mean, them? Can you blame them? Not really. Well, I, guess. I mean, and to a, I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but also to a certain degree, isn't that kind of a, isn't it kind of an homage? I mean, in well, a way, it's kind of an homage as well because they've obviously, yeah, you know, they're mimicking something that they've seen, you know, and I, I'm right. sure some of them do that for. Uh, commercial purposes, but I think sometimes they do it for artistic and creative purposes as well. Yeah, you know, well, it could be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's if if you just played, you know, put out the same record year after year after year, you're not really growing as a band. So I guess yeah, if you're if you're adapting with you know particular trends, I guess that's a form of experimentation and and you know reaching out to to try to find other you know, avenues of expression. So I, I, I guess on some level you can't, uh, you know, demean that. So, right. Yeah, right. I mean, right, I'll buy it. I mean, I'm, and there's also, I mean, Bowie, Bowie was the, you know, the ultimate, uh, uh, chameleon as far as that goes. I mean, he wouldn't right. necessarily copy other people. He would kind of, you know, take a, take an element from here and another element from here and then mold it into something that became his own. So, yeah, I, I don't right. have anything. In the same way that, that mm-hmm. you know, in the same way you can say like Bowie's young Americans is an homage to kind of Philly disco and, and, yeah. um, you know, uh, low is, is an homage to, uh, German kraut rock and, and Eno, <laughs> even though Eno plays on the record, yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah, but I it, mean, but is something an homage when it's like happening just after a certain thing has happened? It's hard to say. I mean, when I think of homages, I think of something that, you know, a certain period of time has elapsed before this, you know, so-called homage happens. You know what right. I'm saying? I mean, right. I mean, maybe I'm using the word too loosely, semantically, but, I, I, you know, I think it's, it's more than just a ripoff. You know, I don't think yeah. the intention is to rip no, off no. or sell out or, you know, okay. I mean, you know, like Elton, Elton John's new wave song, I Am Your Robot, is mm-hmm. is completely silly and completely mm-hmm. disposable pop music. But right. I, I, I still love it. I still think it's great. It's one of my favorite Elton songs. I, I, I enjoy listening to it. And and maybe as time has progressed, it has become more more kitchen homage than it was when it was released but okay um well you know it doesn't make it any less fun or valuable right i'm it might have been a a tongue-in-cheek track to begin with you know well there's that too which was much more acceptable uh for new wave you know new wave to a certain degree was tongue-in-cheek you know if you took it too seriously there was you know which i did as a teenager (laughs) i took it deadly seriously of course um right but you know that was that was part of the fun of it. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I um, I was deadly serious about Flock of Seagulls back in the day. <laughs> were you? Oh yeah, <laughs> I love Flock of Seagulls. Now when Did I listen, you do your hair that way? No, but n- not that deadly <laughs> serious. But <laughs> oh okay, I just really liked Flock of Seagulls, you know, and actually saw them perform at uh, South Park Meadows back when that was a right? an outdoor music venue. The, the opening act was The Fix. So that was actually a, a really good uh, day of music. See, and that's funny. When you mentioned The Fix, too, it's like I don't I don't always automatically go new wave bands, The Fix. I, I, I don't, although they are. Oh, yeah, definitely. Certainly my, my favorite song by The Fix is Stand or Fall. I think that song is one of the most beautiful songs yeah. ever written. I, I agree. And 
certainly that song and Red Skies at Night, those are definitely new sure. wave songs. Oh yeah, you I, ha- know? I had I that album, and uh, yeah, I love the fix. I played, yeah, I, pl- I played the hell out of that album. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I um, would say one, you know, but when you get to one thing leads to another, that's mm-hmm. almost a pop song, but it's still very new wavy, you know. Definitely, I mean, they still. They still, you know, it's just funny because I don't. When someone says name five new wave bands, the fix would never come immediately to my mind. I, yeah, uh, I, uh, but they are. They're definitely a new wave band. Absolutely, um, and I and one I like a lot too. Right, I had the yeah that out was it reach the beach. That's what the name of the album was that I had. Yeah, that was a what great. What was the other big hit on there? Um, one thing leads to another, and Saved by Zero and yes. Uh, Let's see. Uh, gosh, been so long. I don't even own that album I anymore. I think that, that's the other one I was thinking of. Saved by Zero. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great. Yeah, one. just they're you know yeah that they're an underrated ba- band for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool if they uh, they all of a sudden decided to tour again if they're you know still around and alive and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will have to look them up on Wikipedia because it will tell if they're still touring or not. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting. I know they put out. I know they've put out albums within the last 15 years. I, I know they put out some albums in the early 2000s. Oh, okay. I'm almost sure of it. Well. But um, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like they they were still around. Whether they're still around right now or not, I don't know. So. Mm-hmm. Do you, well, um, hey, um, do you, wait, just one, one more thing. Do you remember the, the band called Trio? I believe it was a German band. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, it was like, <laughs> yeah, no, it was da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, da, da, da. I don't love you, you don't love me. Da, da, da. I don't love you, you don't love me. That's the only song I know about them. And, yeah. and they shouldn't be confused that, that was with their um, Yellow. Yeah, shouldn't be confused with Yellow, who did Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. am I doing it? That's a great song, too. <laughs> no, that's, that's it. Okay, that's the same one. That was in. That's uh, in Ferris. Yes. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's where most people know that song from. Yeah. O- of course. Of course. Yeah. The first song that pops into your mind. So cool. Right. All right. So uh, are we done going? Well, hey, we were gonna. Uh huh. I want. Well, I, continuing on with the theme a little bit, although. Uh, okay. You Let's know, do it. I. I I was going to do driving to, uh, you know, I went to Houston this past weekend oh, to yeah. see my family right. and stuff. And wh- one of the things I was going to mention about that was I, I took some CDs that I'd recently bought along with me to listen to in the in my car on the way there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so just two albums that I've gotten recently that I wanted to mention that I love. There's a band from Austin called Spoon, and they've probably put out six or seven or eight albums they yeah. have a, a new album a new album out called Hot Thoughts that's fucking fantastic but I like all their albums this one's just as good um uh the the title track it's like when you listen to the title track it really doesn't sound like other spoon songs mm, um okay. and the, and the album's a little bit more keyboard oriented and i you know, poppy i guess than than some of their earlier stuff but mm. i just think it's a f- fucking fantastic album they have yet to put out a record that i didn't like wow. um so th- that spent a lot of time in the cd player and then um, terrific 
There's a band, a new band, and they're not that new, but there's a band called Car Seat Headrest, which is a horrible name for a band. <laughs> Just the worst. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's mainly, I think it's mainly one guy, although other people play with him. And he put out some independently released stuff a few years ago. He's been around for a few years. I don't know his, the, the main guy's name in Car Seat Headrest. Mm-hmm. But um, he, he kind of got a record deal and they have an album out now called Teens of Denial. There's a song on there called Vincent. The whole album's fantastic. Um, but this song, Vincent, is I think is going to be my song of the year, man. It's just so great. Really? It's like seven minutes. Yeah, seven Whoa. minutes long. But it's just one of those one of those songs that it's like when I listen to that CD, I usually listen to um, Vincent two or three times and then go on and listen to the rest of the album. Is it about Van Gogh? It is not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know exactly what it's about. I read the lyrics and the the lyrics aren't, you know, they don't it doesn't really tell a story or anything. Mm, Okay. Um, I, um, it's just it's a it's a the lyrics are pretty cool though and I, of course I can't remember any of them. There's a segment about go. He says something about when you go in other people's houses and look in their medicine cabinet. I mean the lyrics are different. <laughs> okay. You know when you read them, it's like how would you even set these lyrics to music? But it's a it's it's a very I won't say it's poppy, but mm-hmm. it's certainly a, a a listenable song. It's not too abstract or or uh heavy or anything i mean um you know it's not your typical pop song either mm-hmm. it's definitely an alternative song but it's just turning out to be one of my favorites so far this year so wow you know i hate to admit it though yeah i, I can't even re- remember any spoon songs which is pretty sad being that they're an austin band yeah uh, so one of my favorites by them is trouble come running Hmm. Trouble come running, trouble come running again. Um, but yeah, you know they're kind of an uh, an album. You know, you don't really listen to just a song by Spoon. You want to put mm. on the whole record. And oh, okay. The records are usually really good. Um, are you saying? And I feel e- like every album a concept. I don't know if it's a concept. Every album certainly has a sound. Okay. Um, but although most of their albums up until – and this one certainly sounds like a Spoon record, but yet mm-hmm. it's just a little bit more – I think it's more poppy. I think it's more – it has more keyboards than they've used in the past. Yeah. Um, Hot, Hot Thoughts is certainly different from most of their other stuff. Um it's an interesting song, and I heard it. I actually heard it on the radio. I heard they were had a new album coming out, and hmm. I, and I was definitely interested in getting it. And then I was listening, I think, to KUTX, and they played the title track, and I'm like, wow, that doesn't really. If you played that, I wouldn't know it was a Spoon song. My first guess would not be Spoon, hmm. um, but it's a good song. All right, YouTube well, that shit, man. Okay, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I think I will. I mean, gosh, I mean, I've heard the name Spoon around town for years, but I've just never explored that avenue. So I think it's about time. Yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, and I'm not a huge, I certainly have some of their records. I like them. Um, I certainly don't know every song and I'm not like a huge fan. I just mm-hmm. like them a lot and, and have a four, three or four of their records, maybe four or five by now. Um, and I'd love to see them live, but I, if I went to a live show, I'm cer- sure I wouldn't recognize every song, but, mm. um, there's certainly a band I wouldn't mind seeing live. I think, I, I imagine they put on a fun show cause they're seem like a f- fun band. All right. Well, maybe we need to, you know, in future put our feelers out. 
and see if they're going to be performing live somewhere locally and, they, and go do it. They probably will. Uh, yeah, I would we imagine. Check that out. Hell yeah. I think we would be remiss yeah, sure. as you know, so-called commentators on the Austin scene if we didn't, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to get online and look around. I'm sure that they must be touring to support this record. Yeah, um, you would but think. But we'll just have to see. Okay. So I haven't looked, yeah. All okay, right. so anyway, I drove, drove to Houston this past weekend. Um, the main reason I went was uh, my niece, who is 14, mm-hmm. was in uh, – a play at her junior high school um and my sister's my sister's birthday was a couple weeks ago and and so i hadn't seen her and i wanted to uh i just sent her a card for her birthday because i knew i was going to see her and i wanted to take her out to dinner and everything and and hang out with her so um so that was kind of the main reason for the trip but of course whenever i go to houston i i stay with my nephew he's so sweet to me he sleeps on the couch and lets me sleep on his bed because i can't sleep on his couch i can't fall asleep there but you know he just always he's so good to me and and this this time on this trip um it was it was mainly just me and him hanging out um other than when we saw my sister and my niece and stuff he was like i just want to spend some time i want some uncle time i'm like all right <laughs> so he's he's such a good such wow. a good guy we always have a really good time together we we uh went to out and ate a couple times at a couple uh places um the one place we went that i've always wanted to go was a place called lankford grocery it's in the montrose in houston hmm. okay it's just a little hole in the wall place i saw it on i'd never heard of it and you know i lived in houston for like 20 almost 30 years i think yeah 27 years or something and um and i never heard of lankford grocery and i worked in the montrose i hung out in the montrose never heard of this place and uh it was on you know guy fieri's show diners drive-ins and dives and it's like hmm. mainly they serve burgers there it just looked like a real divey kind of place where i think it used to be a grocery store that served burgers and now all it is is a cafe a restaurant mm-hmm. yeah and burgers are their main thing um although they do breakfast and they're only open till three um and so since my nephew lives like five minutes away from there i was like oh on saturday let's go have lunch there and we'll go and since it'll be busy we'll just get it to go and we can bring it back to your place and eat lunch at your place and he's like that's fine yeah so we went we went and um we walk in and and there are actually tables open and one of the waitress girls says sit wherever you want and we're like okay well we'll just sit here and have lunch then so so we ate there rather than taking it back home um and it's real, really good food, just amazingly good comfort, you know, sandwiches. Michael had a BLT, and I was like, really? You're getting a BLT, but it comes, and it's like on Texas toast with big slab slices of bacon. Oh, I was like, okay. man, that looks good. Not your average BLT. Some, okay. Yeah, yeah. I got something. I didn't get a burger. I want to go back and get a burger. I got something. I think it was called – I can't remember. It was something like three – oh, Three Little Pigs, and it was like – Hmm. A fried pork fritter with bacon and ham and the Whoa. most amazing, yeah, the most amazing Dijon mustard I've ever had. It was delicious, man. Hmm. And, nice. uh, and we got got fried pickles and they were really good and fries. And so it was it was really good. We really enjoyed it. Were the fried pickles fried spears or fried chips? They were chips. Mm. And yeah, I okay. used to hate chips. Yeah. But now I kind of like them. Okay. They're, the 
the spears sometimes are a little too much. Mm, okay. You know, pickled chips yeah. are a little, I don't, and these were really good. They had a really great coating on them. They weren't, you know, sometimes you do get pickled chip fried pickles and they're, and they're kind of greasy. There's not much to them. And limp. Well, they're greasy. Yeah. They're, and they're, the coating is not, mm-hmm. this had really thick coating, really okay. tasty coating on it. So right. they were really good. They were almost like gourmet pickle, fried pickle chips. Oh, so. that's cool. Okay. So what's yeah. the, what's the name so, of this place again? Lankford, L-A-N-K-F-O-R-D, Grocery. Lankford Grocery. Kind of, hmm. It's right. kind of tucked back in a little part, uh, a little street in the Montrose. Mm-hmm. You'd have to you'd have to uh, Google it or GPS it to find it because it's not. I can't yeah. remember the name of the street that it's on. Um, but they've just got a couple picnic tables out front and then mm-hmm. inside. And it's like a little shack, man. Yeah. And inside, they've got maybe 15 tables. But the, the girl, the ladies that work there were really nice. And the, mm-hmm. and okay, they take, they take you know, it's a good place when they only take cash. Cash only. Ah, uh, right. I, I, I asked the lady when we sat down. She sat, you know, she sat down with us to take our order, which I always mm-hmm. love that, too. Yeah, I was like, do you guys? Yeah. And we realized we got there. We realized I had like five dollars. Michael had like like twenty seven. So we had thirty two dollars. And so so we were like, uh, surely that was enough. Well, you know, we wanted to try everything. But um, I I asked the lady, do you guys have an ATM? And she said, honey, we can't have an ATM in here. Do you know how many times we in a year we get robbed? They're really? freaking here to steal anything, yeah. Wow. I get, and I guess it's not really. I didn't feel like it was in a bad part of town. Of course, the Montrose is mm-hmm. is used to be really, you know, back in the day in the eighties, it was very much. It was a very shady part of town, even okay. though it's the gay part of town. It was right. really shady, but but in the in the nineties they. They put actually in the late 80s, they put a police substation there and they mm. gentrified it. They did what they've mm-hmm. done here in Houston, in Austin. Right. They gentrified it and started building condos and turned it into a, a place where, you know, young rich people wanted to live rather than right. the, the than the seedy part of town. So, yeah. so now it's fairly upscale in the Montrose. But mm-hmm. I, there are some pla- there are some patches, I guess, that might be a little more seedy than other places. Uh, OK, so occasionally she means that they get broken into and people steal shit. I guess so. Yeah, I ho- yeah. I hope hopefully was, they don't get funny. robbed. They don't get robbed at gunpoint. <laughs> right. I don't think that they open. do. Of course, they're yeah. only open. They're only open during the daylight hours, so maybe that's why they don't serve dinner there. But I just, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I, you know, there are places sometimes where you go, especially the dive bars and 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 sometimes, you know, divey restaurants where you're like, man, I don't know if I want to park my car here. But I didn't feel that sure. way at, at, at Langford Grocery. It's on a kind of a residential street. Yeah. So tell and, me, have they maintained? The old school look, at least on the outside of the building, to where it still looks like it's an old timey uh, grocery store. Well, it looks like a. If it was a grocery store at one time, it had to be like a little neighborhood market. It wasn't. It's not a huge. Yeah. Building. Well, yeah, that's what so, I mean. Um, kind of like. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just a little tiny neighborhood, you know, stop and shop type place that right. uh, you know it, still, it was in operation maybe in the forties, nineteen forties or something. That's what I'm. In, in, I think that's. Ex- that's what I'm envisioning. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. From the outside, there's no big signs or there's not a big parking lot in front of mm-hmm. it. It's just a kind of a a, a cement uh, 
area with some uh, picnic tables on it. There okay. is an old sign that, that I think says Lankford Grocery that has a, like a soda. I can't remember if it's a Coke or Dr. Pepper logo on it or something. But yeah, very, it's, you know, you almost have to, you would have to almost be looking for it to see it. Mm. And it's certainly on a, like a side street. Um, yeah. I can, again, can't remember what street it's on, but I would, I would go there in a heartbeat. I didn't feel unsafe there or anything like that at all. It was, it was fun. The food was amazing. I guess cool. it wasn't super cheap because we did two sandwiches and fried pickles and French fries and a drink, and it was like twenty five dollars. But I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like we decided, oh. we we. That's the not fries unusual. Were like four four bucks. The sandwiches were like seven. Yeah. You know, it wasn't super yeah. expensive. We just didn't. You know. You know, we wanted to make sure we could tip our our waitress as well. So. Sure. I mean, that, that's that's the go, that's the going rate for sandwiches nowadays. That you know, any right. any place that Guy Fieri visits. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. So. Uh, too funny. So anyway, mm-hmm. I have to, I have to tell you, man. Yeah. Saturday night we went to see my niece uh, again. She's fourteen. She's in junior high. Right. The play they were doing was actually The Lion King Jr. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. I was not prepared. <laughs> oh, okay. What you, I am. What do you mean I, by that? I, you know, I mean, it's been 30 years since I went to like a school production because, you know, I don't have kids. Right. So, I mean, yeah. I can't even tell you, the. you know, I checked in at uh, the junior high school on Facebook and I was waiting for comments from people like, what the, what the fuck are you doing there, perv? But <laughs> 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 Leave those kids alone. But, um, but it was it was very I mean, you know, I mean, they're kids. <clears throat> um, yes, it was it was it was very much a junior high school production. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say bad things about, about it. I, yeah. I certainly enjoyed it. It was certainly, uh, an event. Mm-hmm. It was certainly fun. I had a good time. Um, uh, some of the kids the, that were in the production were not very good, but you okay. know, they're 14. What well, are you going to do? You know, there, um, there are always various levels of talent and various levels of enthusiasm of uh, participants and productions like that. So that's, right. that's, I mean, that's was, what you're going to get. It's going to be a mixed bag. It, it was great because the, the, the young man who played the main character Simba in, in the Lion King uh-huh. um, was not very good. And oh, uh, no. there was a whole bunch of kind of whispering and drama about the fact that his mother was a teacher at the school, oh, and maybe no. that's how he got the role. <laughs> it was awesome. Was she... It was so small town suburban, hor- wonderful. It'd be horrible <laughs> if she happened to be the drama teacher as well. Uh, she isn't. I don't think she. She definitely isn't because uh. the drama teacher. There were two of them, and they came out to introduce the program, and it was a male and a female who were both early 20s. Okay. And the guy was about as gay as gay could be. Oh, really? It's <laughs> like, oh, wow. it's hmm. nice that they mm-hmm. let this gay guy teach at the school. And, I mean, maybe he doesn't say he is, but anyone with any lick of sense could immediately see, uh, you know, that, well, he, that, that he was. Well, isn't that what you want in a, a drama teacher? Hells yeah, the That's gay how- guys are the best drama teachers in the world, man. <laughs> That's how you know you're getting the best. <laughs> right, Abs- absolutely, yeah. man. Sure, let's, let's, um, let's stereotype. <laughs> 
I know, right? <laughs> when it's a good stereotype for the gays that don't mind as much. Well, that's true. Um, you know. So, um, anyway, another thing that was really amazing was my niece. I love her to death. She's a great kid, mm-hmm. but she's like when she's around me, she loves me so much. It's so sweet. Aww. And she talks super fast. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, she's always been a little annoying, to be quite honest, because she talks fast. She's just she's yeah. got to tell you stories. They don't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, she's 14. You know, right. she's 14 now. They're starting to make a little more sense, but not. Well, they're still that's good. kind of craziness. And oh, she yeah. still repeats herself and she mm. still wants to talk to you a mile a minute. Mm, okay. And um, I can't imagine where can't imagine where she gets that. <laughs> right, I know. Right, does it run in the family or what? And uh, but the, you got to tell me though, uh, what part did she play in the in the uh, uh, Lion King Junior? She played Pumbaa, the warthog. Ah, okay. And and this other little boy who I think was in seventh grade, so that makes him thirteen. He looked, you know, nine years old. He was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, played. Played uh, is it Tim Timba or Timber or whoever the little uh, meerkat is that's Pumbaa's friend? Ah, uh, right. So, so they were like, you know, they were like a team. They were on stage together all the time. Mm-hmm. Most of their dialogue was was back and forth between the two of them. Although they talked to Simba some too. But what was amazing is yeah. my niece came out and she was actually, and I, you know, I know it's her uncle, so but <laughs> she really right. was one of the best performers in the piece she was she she spoke loudly and clearly in a way that she never does in real life and 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 knew all her lines and um like the comic relief of the of the play yeah of course so that's awesome hmm yeah. So her and the, and then the little boy that played her her partner Timba, whatever that character's name is, yeah. he was fucking great and hilarious, hilarious kid. And yeah. together they were just perfect. And so that was really nice. But it's like almost to the to, it's actually was an hour and forty five minutes with an intermission. It was almost to the intermission. They come on stage about ten minutes before intermission, so yeah. you have to put up with about. 35 minutes of the rest of the show. Oh boy, <laughs> really? To them. I mean, it was so hard because the critic in me just was like, oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost, it was almost unwatchable. It was so bad. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah, it was bad. But um, then she came on and it, it was, it became fun and funny. And then in the second half, uh, her and her her little partner were on uh, a lot as well, and it, mm-hmm. it it was a lot. It got a lot better and was a lot more fun. But so you, so you're saying that your your niece and the yeah, the little boy were scene stealers. They they actually brought the energy level up, whereas you felt it was like. Oh, this is horrible! And Elsa, hey, this isn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They definitely did. the The little guy that plays her partner, I wish I could remember. I think it's Timba, but that sounds wrong. Mm. Uh, he was he was actually very good. Hmm. I mean, not only did they both speak loudly and clearly to where you could understand them while everybody else yeah. on stage was mumbling. Well, shit. Um, that's they that's... were funny and and fun and. Um, you know, that's neat to see that. I mean, that's, that's three quarters of stagecraft is making yourself so that you can be heard and, you know, and being clear. 
So, wow, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I mean that's, yeah. rule, that's rule number one for stage. Yeah. So, apparently, she, you know, hit hit the marks perfectly in that well, regard. So, yeah, that's awesome. She did. Mm-hmm. You know, she was in a, another, not, not to brag like a parent, but... She was in another play earlier this year. Yeah. And it it's it was some sort of drama and I believe she played a a it was like a one act play and she played a male doctor in it. Mm-hmm. And um they took it to UIL and she actually won best actress at UIL, best actor or actress at UIL. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and she only had a 10 minutes ten, she was only on stage 10 minutes of a, like a 40 minute play. Um Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, that's saying I, I a lot am, then. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah. I mean, what's cool is if you met her, you would mm-hmm. think, oh, God, you can't put her on stage. She talks a mile a minute and you can't understand what she says half the time. Mm-hmm. But well, she gets on stage and she just turns into an actress. It's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. It's neat to see that. Yeah, that was neat to see. So, yeah. I mean, I'll be going back. I'm sure I'll be going back to see more productions because I can't wait to see what she's in next. I guess it's going to be the fall before she'll be in anything again. But yeah. um, it was it was fun. It was different. That's I cool. No, that's ex- that's exciting to me. My tongue. <laughs> yeah. I, I was a bit of a theater nerd back when I was in high school. So, it, uh, yeah, it, it makes my heart feel good to hear about certain people that I know who have relatives or children that are involved in theater. It's awesome. Doing the theater thing, yeah. I mean, I think... Well, I think it's... Yeah. I mean, theater in general is, is making a resurgence. More people are getting interested in going out and seeing plays nowadays. And I'm not sure what's sparking that, but it's it's there's a movement out there where people are they want to to go see live things like that. So cool. Oh, I think so too. You know, there's a whole there's a whole thing about younger people, millennials per se, mm-hmm. that that they don't want to buy things; mm-hmm. they want to buy experiences. Yes, and that. And that so like a lot of times, like on Shark Tank, even when they're talking about products or things, they will get really interested in in something if it's if it's not just a product, but there's a whole experience that goes with it. Uh Um, You know, I remember there was a guy who came on and he he ran like what he kind of called it an adult amusement amusement park. But what it was basically was you went out to his area. Mm-hmm. And he had a play a place where they had bulldozers and and big machines like that, and then <laughs> they let you drive wow. them. And and you know you paid a fee to just go out and run a bulldozer. You know, wow, for, just for uh, fifteen uh, minutes or whatever. Operate heavy machinery like yeah, ba- backhoes and uh, yeah. Earth moving vehicles, just wow, that's yeah. wild, that's amazing. And I thought <laughs> that's kind of a crazy idea, but. You know, if someone said, hey, there's a place outside of Austin where you can go and like for a hundred bucks, you can run a bulldozer for 15 minutes. That sounds kind of like something I would do. That'd be really you know? cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a I lot of fun. I could see doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That totally and, different, unique. Yeah. You know what I would like to do is I would like to go to a place that was like next to a junkyard and they had a bunch of junk cars and you could take an army tank and run over cars with it. That would be fun. That, w- that would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you, sma- you, you can dude. take out you can take out all your i thirty five frustrations on junk cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's for cutting me off, you fucker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Oh, mm. Right. So, hmm. 
Okay, well, that's, that is interesting. Yeah, people don't want to buy things; they want to buy experiences. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's true. I sure, think uh, I can see that more and more true. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, I mean, it's the uh, you know going to concerts or plays or going on trips, like our trip to San Francisco yeah. coming up. That's yeah, buying, I was that's just buying thinking about experience. that. It's not buying a thing. Absolutely. We're not going to... Absolutely. Know. Yeah, so... You know, it's going to be cool because, like, uh, my nephew was telling me he wants to... He doesn't just want to see the Golden Gate Bridge. He actually wants to walk on it, which I'm assuming you can do. Yeah. And I was like, can you... Can you even do that? And he's like, people jump off of there all the time. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, people well, are walking across it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. They must be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not. I may not walk the whole thing, but I'm gonna walk. I'll oh. walk out on it. Yeah, that's a little bit. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty long walk. That's at least a mile. It's at least a mile long. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. At least, if not yeah. longer. Yeah. Yeah. But when he when he said that, I was like, I never thought about walking on it. I just want to see it, you know. Mm-hmm. But. But the experience of walking on it would be really cool to cut. Sure. And then every time you're watching TV or a movie and they show the Golden Gate Bridge, you can be like, I walked on that fucking thing. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, we're definitely going to you know? we're definitely going to drive across it on it when, when we're mm-hmm. heading mm-hmm. on our way to further north. And, you know, there are parks on either end of the bridge also that that uh, you can stop at and. Yeah, so you could stop at one yeah. park and walk to the other. Uh, yeah, there's definitely somehow. that mm-hmm. that that there's a place where there's a park bench, like and it's always in movies and you know it overlooks the Golden Gate Bridge and yeah. it's in a Woody Allen movie and it's in some other movies. Oh, it's probably um, in, it's probably in a hundred Woody movies. Allen movie. Yeah, I can believe yeah. that. And An- it's like Annie I want to I want to go there. Mm-hmm. It may be in is Annie Hall, but they're set in New York. What aren't aren't some scenes? No, maybe not. I thought some scenes were in, in but no, they're probably not. So, yeah, maybe it's the well, maybe it's what's the big bridge in New York? The Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge. Maybe yeah, I'm mis- mistaking it with the Brooklyn Bridge, but I know you might I be. have seen pictures <laughs> of a, a little park near the the shore of of whatever. I don't even know what the Golden Gate Bridge crosses. That's bad. That's um, really bad. San Francisco Bay, I guess. Is it? It's not. It's not a particular river or anything. No, I, you know, just the Bay Area, just the Bay. Yeah, I think so. But you know, I'm sure uh, Sierra will correct me if I'm wrong. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll get. I don't. We'll I, get a message on our uh, Facebook page that said, "Hey, the body of water crossing that this, <laughs> yeah, that the uh, right Golden Gate Bridge crosses is." But I thought it was San Francisco Bay. It may be San Francisco Bay, and I was just thinking too. I don't know where what's on the other side. I don't know where it takes you to uh, another part of San Francisco, or I'm gonna have to look on a fucking map, man. I just don't know. Well, I guess ultimately it takes you to the Pacific Ocean, right? It just drops you right off in the ocean, right? Well, not quite. I'm sure <laughs> it's there's still yeah some shoreline before you actually. Get out into the. Uh, I'd have to look at a map, but yeah, anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, so, and. Uh, but yeah, that would be a good experience to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, I can't wait to. Mm. Uh, there's so many things I want to do. Uh, Michael, my nephew, mentioned um, mm-hmm. Lombard Street too, which is that curvy street. Right. Yeah, definitely. Which you've seen in a, in a thousand movies. Um, right. And um, when, what's up, Doc? Is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it goes down Lombard Street, and I want to drive down Lombard Street. Yeah, I think when the last time Sierra and I were in San Francisco, we 
we drove by it, but we didn't drive on it, you know, because it's, you know, there's a lot of residential homes there, and I'm sure they're sick and tired of people driving on it. Of course, you know, you got to drive across right. it. You got to drive through it one time. Of course, we, we won't exactly have a car when we're in San Francisco, or well, will we, we? We will when we're leaving. We well, will when we're leaving. Oh, that's true. It could or be the last day or one whatever. Of, so. One of the things that we do before we... <laughs> Where we head north. We head yeah. north. Oh, that's interesting, right? Right. Yeah. Just like I really want to drive down, I think it's called Lombard Street. So, yeah. Yes. We're going to have to have a car to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, Absolutely. Hey, I, mm-hmm. I just realized uh, I had other things I want to talk about. I know you said you had something you want to talk about. Sure. Uh, we, to- we totally haven't done the people who've died segment yet. Oh yeah, we should we should probably do that. Usually, do it pretty early on in the show. I mean, damn, we're already I know hour yeah. and a half in here, so we, <laughs> I we, know. we need to get cracking. I know uh, there's a lot we want to talk about. So, shall we cue the music for people who've died? Yes, cue music. They died. They died. This. <laughs> You know, we've been talking about this is, a, you know, I told you when we were talking earlier that I, that I had a lot of music stuff I wanted to talk about on this on this episode. Yeah, dude, there's there is five music related deaths, although only one of them is really a household name. Hmm. OK, um, so um, uh, first off, the Austin connection, Austin, Austin, there was yeah. a guy, <laughs> there's a there's a guy who was a drummer mm-hmm. um, who who I was reading online. He played with just a ton of Austin musicians. Oh, um, okay. And then he also played with a band called Soul Hat, which mm-hmm. I remember hearing about them. I don't remember much about them, but they were an Austin-based band that actually had, I think they had a hit song. Yeah, um, I, I remember Soul Hat. Was, yeah, what was his name? His name was Barry Frosty Smith. Um, oh, okay. And yeah. Not a not a household word by by any means, but definitely yeah. uh, in our people who died segment uh, with an Austin connection. I wanted to mention him because if you, I looked him up, uh, well, no, I read his obituary online, and and the amount of Austin people who that he played with, there was like thirty musicians, and easily more than half of them were recognizable Whoa. folks. Okay. Um, hmm. So he's he, sure, you know, very well known in the Austin music scene. So, yeah. So um, Frosty, what was his last name? Barry Frosty Smith. Frosty Smith. Frosty, okay. Frosty in quotation marks. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously um, there's and, his nickname. Then um, a guy was, you know, the band Jamiroquai. They, they had like a hit song a few years ago. Hmm. One of the guys in that band died. His name was Toby Smith. Um, hmm. There was a guy who, and I recognize this name um, because I used to read every album I ever bought. I read the credits a thousand times. Of course, when I was a teenager. The liner notes and are so there was, the best thing of listening to an album. You yeah, know? <laughs> every word. Um, there was a. Uh, there's a company that mastered records, and I don't even understand exactly what mastering a record is Mm -hmm. but it has something to do with with how the record sounds and and how it's pressed on vinyl okay um 
uh, and there was a company called Sterling Sound, and you would see that on a ton of rock records in the 70s. Mastered at, by Sterling Sound or Mastered at Sterling Sound. Okay. And sometimes it would say Mastered by, and this guy's name was Tom Coyne, C-O-Y-N-E. Mastered by Tom Coyne at Sterling Sound. Hmm. Um, and I remember seeing that on a lot of records, and I got online and looked at his uh, discography, and he mastered a just a ton of of well-known records and and singles 45s um okay so you're saying richard coin died tom 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 Coyne. tom coin okay mm-hmm. oh. and then uh a guy who wrote for rolling stone named glenn o'brien um, okay. which i remember seeing his byline in rolling stone a lot when i was a kid and would read rolling stone i read it religiously as a teenager wow um okay he wrote a lot of stuff and uh, he passed away this week. Uh, Rolling Stone is still around, which is hard to believe. In fact, there's a guy, um, my favorite uh, music author is a guy named Rob Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he wrote a book about Bowie that I'm reading right now called On Bowie. That's amazing that I'll talk about on another episode when we have more time. Okay. Um, but um, so um, – I still sometimes it's hard to find Rolling Stone. I look for it sometimes because I don't want to subscribe because I don't want a thousand things in my mail. Right. (laughs) But I will buy I will buy issues when I can see them. And you just don't I don't see them that often at the grocery store or the drugstore like you used to. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about the Rolling Stone is that I remember, you know, back in the day, Rolling Stone was about the size of, you know, the Austin Chronicle. And now it's a much right. smaller magazine, which is, you know, it a little is. weird, but I, oh, yeah, I can understand. Right. I can understand just wanting to cut costs or, you know, make it a little little easier to fit on the newsstand. Of course, it d- doesn't quite stick right. out as much as it may have uh, uh, once before, of course. You know, print media is, you know, in trouble now, unfortunately. It's a dying and, media. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, um, and, you know... I will buy Rolling Stone, and there's always a five or six page political article in there. Yeah, and usually with a somewhat liberal slant. And even I, I just can't make you know unless it's something I'm you know like there was one a few months ago, well last year mm-hmm. that was about Bernie Sanders, and so I read that one. But yeah. sometimes it will be some political es- expose or or mm-hmm. something, and it's just oh I can't I can't get into them. Nah. I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm, I should be much more uh, knowledgeable about those things, but it's just so mm. hard for me to get into it sometimes. Okay. Well, but I like the pic- I like the pictures and the articles about musicians a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I like the shiny things. Yeah. Yeah. And then the big okay. big death in the music world this week was Jay Giles. Oh, yeah, um, of course. Yeah. Who, who was the lead guitarist of the Jay Giles band, but not the lead singer, which is always interesting. Oh, okay. Um well, it's um yeah. Not the only band that was like, you know, Van Halen was, you know, the lead guitarist, uh, you know, was named after him, but he wasn't the lead singer. So it's not unusual, I guess. Well, there you are. Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Kind of, you know, Jay Giles, I don't I don't even know if Jay Giles has released an album in Mm -hmm. the last 15 years. I mean, the last thing I remember ever 
hearing or seeing about Jay Giles band was was Freeze Frame and right. and um, what's the other song? Flamethrower? Whatever. Centerfold. Frank oh, Flame Centerfold. Thrower. Yeah, you remember Flamethrower. Flamethrower. Piss on a Wall. Do you remember Piss on the Wall? Oh, yeah. That's on wow. that same record. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. <laughs> Damn. That's a good, that's a great record. There's another band that if someone said they considered Freeze Frame a new wave song, I'm like, well, maybe it's, it's keyboardy poppy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe. You know, but I think I it's more in the cons- the outer edges of, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but, I, if someone wanted to make a case for that, I, sure. I, could, I, 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 I wouldn't agree with them, but I wouldn't say they're wrongheaded to do that either. Yeah, you this, know, I, I would say freeze sure. frame. I mean, there's overlap. Stinks. Yeah. Love Stinks could certainly be considered a new wave song, I think. It's definitely new you, wavy. Yeah, you actually Love Stinks, you could almost that could almost be a punk song. Almost. Almost. I yeah. mean it's I think yeah. it's it's half of its body in punk and half of its body in new wave and Right? It's balls and, and just plain old rock, rock and roll. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, a band like um, oh, Jay Giles that I love the it's a spoken word piece called No Anchovies, Please, which is oh. they used to play that on FM rock radio. I remember hearing that on KLOL in Houston wow. back when I was in high school. And it's like No Anchovies, Please is certainly that's wild. Know, new wave or it's different. It's a fucking spoken word, almost comedy bit. But Dang. yeah, that bowling ball. That's my wife. I mean, that's that's just like absurdist, right? Something I don't know. Hell it's, yeah! It's you know, it's more than a novelty record. That's for sure. That's right. I can see Todd Glass uh, saying that. <laughs> that bowling ball. That's my wife. Yeah, I think he or actually husband? on his <laughs> on, on his podcast. I think he says that every now and again as a punchline. It's weird. So anyway, whatever. But uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Jay Giles. Uh, good memories of uh, the Jay Giles band. Unfortunately, never yeah, got to, definitely. never got to see him live. But um, yeah, there's a lot of bands either. like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, uh, well, you know, and it's definitely like I can't even tell you. Like I can hear "Love Stinks" in my head just by closing my eyes. You know. Oh yeah. But I couldn't tell you the last last time I listened to the song. Oh, I know. You know, I'm sure I've got it on an MP3 somewhere. Right. I mean, I I remember having the album. Back yeah, in the day, too. at least yeah. one Jay Giles uh, band album, and playing it a lot and really liking them. But uh, yeah. I can't, I can't remember the last time I've heard a Jay Giles band song on the radio or seeking it out to listen to it. But right, yeah, it's just, I have heard Centerfold and Freeze Frame on like Bob and that other station I listened to, one hundred five point three, The Bat. I have heard, yeah, I've heard those songs yeah. on there. Within the last mm, six months, um, but you don't hear them they're all not, the time. Yeah, you they're know? not in the regular rotation. Right? Yeah, they're the the uh, the once in a while songs that <laughs> exactly. they play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then so. outside of the realm of music, mm-hmm. uh, David Letterman's mom died, which was that's just right. sad. Yeah, so sad. Such, was... She seemed like such a real sweet. Person. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he was very close with her, or at least it seemed that he was very close with her, and she would uh, appear on his show occasionally, as I remember back in the day, and uh, so yeah, she was she was a real sport. 
Because, you know, <laughs> he kind of poked fun at her. I mean, not in a malicious way, but, you know, he used her on the show as, a, as kind of a comic foil sometimes. And she was great. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you could never I think what you know, what was great about that was you could never really tell for sure if she was in on it or not. Yeah. She seemed so genuinely sweet and nice. Right. And, but yet, you know, she wasn't a dumb person or anything. You know, she wasn't. No. A, a, she was just a. a down-to-earth Midwesterner is what she was. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really, you're right. She really was. <laughs> Just, yeah. So, and I mean, you know, we always say this when someone a little bit older dies, uh, She and I think she was 90-something. Um, oh. You know, she lived a good long life, but... Definitely. That, I mean, how... Know, I mean, Dave I mean, Dave is in his 70s, so yeah, she's definitely had to be yeah. in her 90s, well into him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's kind of cool because we always think the, Amer- you know, the big dream is to to make a lot of money and then buy your mom a house. But how yeah. cool is it to, to make a lot of money and put your mom on TV? That's the, well, that's pretty awesome. That's make true. Make your mom a celebrity. Sure. And uh, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he definitely made her a, a celebrity. Yeah. And he probably bought her a house, talk- too. <laughs> and Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure he bought her a house. Yeah. And, uh, Easily. They were talking, when they were talking about her uh, on TV after she died, uh, they mentioned that she was uh, she was like a correspondent during one of the Olympics for him uh, when, he was on, <laughs> when he was doing the late show. And wow. I had totally forgotten about that. But she went somewhere, and I can't remember where. I think it was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And was like his correspondent at the Olympics. And I was like, how fun is that to send That's your mom? That's hilarious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the, the absurdist type stuff that Dave is definitely known for. So that, that's yeah, cool, right? fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So, a cinem- yeah. A cinema- cinematographer named Michael Balhaus, who um, hmm. did the cinema, did this, I always, they always say lensed, who lensed, um, he lensed a lot of films for Scorsese over the last 20 years or so, 30 years, really. Oh, okay. Um, and, in, and then in the 70s, he was the cinematographer on several Fassbender films, uh, passed away. Okay. Hmm. And, okay. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because Fassbender, are you, are you familiar with Fassbender at all? Can't say I'm Vonna, very knowledgeable about Reina, Fassbender. Right, yeah, right. I yeah. only know. Well, you know, I, I know you and I saw Fassbender in that film the other day, and oh, that's right, uh, I forgot. A few months ago, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I that totally was a lot of fun. About that. Yeah. Right, and we had yeah. talked about uh, Fassbender um, a little bit yeah. as well about other you know films that he had actually directed, and uh, so right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I there's so many. You know, Fassbender directed like twenty five, thirty films in a period of like. 12 years or something right um it's, it's very it's prolific amazing mm-hmm. yeah and um and it's probably more than that it's probably more like 50 films in in 22 years or maybe 18 years or something anyway mm-hmm. um uh, uh, there are so many Fassbender films. I've only seen like six or seven of his movies. Um, okay. And actually, there are two or three that I didn't like at all. Mm, and then there's mm-hmm. a couple that I really only one that I really loved. Yeah. Um, but he's one of those directors that I, I just would love to see more of his work. I need to make a point of seeing more of it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because there's so many films to choose from. It's hard. Right. You know, if it was five films, you could go. 
you can make a point of watching them. But when it's 37 yeah. films, you're like, shit, where do I start? I'd like to see the Alamo Drafthouse do like a, you know, Fassbender uh, Film Festival. That would be <laughs> that awesome. That would be cool. Or, yeah. or now that AF, AFS has their screening areas, their screening rooms set up. Oh, that's true. Uh, if they did a Fassbender retrospective, that would be cool, too. So, yeah, if there are any uh, uh, members of AFS out there who are listening to this, uh, why don't you mention it to your program director that <laughs> you want to do a Fassbender retrospective? You know, it doesn't have to be every yeah. one of his films. That would take months. Um, but, you know, maybe a, <laughs> a, a day a day where they do, you know, five. Just five. Right? That's all I'm asking. Right. You know? Yeah. Just yeah. one day. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, or even over a weekend. Yeah. Do, do three one day and two the next day. That would be cool. I would come um, see it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I would definitely come see it. And mm-hmm. some of those w- movies haven't been screened uh, in Austin, probably for a long time. I right. I don't know the last time. I mean, it's cool when they're when it's something like Kamikaze '89, where they have they have uh, made a new print and they have you know cleaned it up and spent time. What do they call it when they do that? Um, not refurbishing, but Re- remastered. Yeah, um, there's another word for it, but you know what we're saying. Um, they it's give really it, cool. Give it they, the Osborne treatment. <laughs> <laughs> they do the old Robert Osborne on it. Hell yeah, um, all over it. Yeah, all over its, it's face. And so, uh, so it's really cool <laughs> when they do that. I'm just gonna go on. Okay, it's good. Really cool, and they probably for the do best. Do that. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, if it's just an old print, or even if it's really a digital screening, right? You know, sometimes I'm still in. Sometimes, yeah. There's a certain charm to a shitty old print. Yeah, it's fun. You feel like you're seeing something special. That yeah. obviously it must be good if it's been played so much that it's worn right. out. All all the pops, <laughs> all the pops and um, uh, splice marks and stuff. You know, but right. That's experience. You know, Warhol. Yeah. Warhol always said that he liked that, and that's why in some of his movies he would, uh, you know, if it got scratches on it or whatever, he would just leave it in there because he's mm. like, that way you know you're watching a movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the big difference between film and uh, digital. An individual print has a life of its own, you know, its own set, right. of, set of experiences and traumas. There's something to be yeah. said for that, you know. There is. I mm. do, you know. Certainly, it's kind of like the whole thing between vinyl and and CD, you know. Right. I mean, vinyl is great if you've got a great system and uh, mm-hmm. and you've got a pristine version of the vinyl. True. Um, but you're always going to hear pops and clicks and yeah. you know. And uh, in in CDs you don't, but there yeah. is a school of thought that CDs are much more lifeless and and mm-hmm. uh, the sound quality isn't as good. So well, that's that's true. Something, I mean, something to be said for both things. Yeah, they always say that you know vinyl has kind of a a warmer sound to it. Of course, I mean DVDs can be good if the sample rate on them is very high. You know, a lot of problems of a lot of production. CDs is that the the sample rate was low as far as you know the number right. of you know the ones with have a very very high sample rate you know they they sound you know they they come close to that you know the richness and warmth of of vinyl you know and some of the early CDs were actually you know what they called the gold ones you know now all of them are you know just that silver they have that silver backing they say some of the really good ones that you know will last forever unlike you know the the standard production ones that will deteriorate over time. 
unfortunately. Right. Which is much to the chagrin well, of, of music aficionados all over the world. It's the age when new media was the big idea, so. That's right. Yeah. As uh, uh, Who was it who had mentioned that about? Uh, On last episode, uh, you two uh, Bono right, said that Bono, in right. one of their songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which, uh, which I think I said was on the album uh, No Line on the Horizon, and it's actually on the album All That You Leave Behind, I think. So I did mm. a little research and posted about it on the Facebook page. So Yeah, um, cool. In the, in the episode 36 notes. That's interesting. And the only other person on my list is in the probably the most well-known name of all of them yeah. is a guy named Charlie Murphy, Eddie Murphy's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember reading about that, and uh, I didn't realize how much of a career they had actually had, you know, because I guess his career was always kind of overshadowed by Eddie's, so, you know, but then I saw right. some stuff online where, you know, he, he worked a lot with uh, Dave Chappelle, and so then I, and when I saw some clips of some Chappelle stuff, I was like, oh, of course. No wonder I kept... That guy. Uh, yeah, no wonder I always thought, hey, that guy kind of resembles Eddie Murphy. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was for a reason. But uh, It's his brother, yeah. Yeah, so... I uh, Yeah, mm-hmm. not a huge fan. I saw some of his stand-up on Comedy Central, and he, he's very uh, kind of hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, what's mm-hmm. the word? I'm not, ma- not masculine, but certainly kind of seemed like testosterone driven okay right i don't know just wasn't 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 horrible by any means he's funny but just wasn't uh you know something that i was like oh this is great or anything but not quite um, as uh nuanced as eddie's material definitely not yeah okay much more blunt yeah i I would say well he's Um, so would you say he's he was kind of a coattail writer well i mean he certainly had talent people liked him a lot i mean and okay and uh, I think he really, you know, I'm not a big Chappelle fan either, and mm-hmm. I've seen, but certainly the the Chappelle stuff that he's, the thing about Prince playing basketball, which I think <laughs> is a story that Charlie tells, right? It's fucking hilarious, you know. Uh-huh. And um, so you know, I, I certainly he had talent, mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, would he be as big as he was without being Eddie Murphy's brother? I tend to doubt that, but right, you know, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's kind of kind of the way I felt. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, certainly died too young. Yeah, I mean, nepotism is a thing, and it's certainly a thing in the entertainment industry. I always, of I've course. always been like, if you want to be in entertainment and you've got something that's going to help you get people to notice you, why wouldn't you use it? Sure, you know? hey, it's just like the the thing I always say about like there. I I've met a couple guys who were really attractive who were trying to to be musicians and they didn't want to be recognized for their attractiveness but their music. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, dude, if this, you being pretty puts butts in the seats, right? Then you can let them know you're talented. But first, you got to get butts in the seats, man. Right. You well, know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, why would you run away from you know just natural gifts that you have? You know. Right. Right. But and, like, and nepotism mm-hmm. may be a thing, but if somebody really sucks, they're not going to last long with nepotism. Well, sure. You know, if, if Blythe Danner was my mother, I'd be Glyneth Paltrow also. <laughs> I'm Glyneth Paltrow all over this motherfucker. <laughs> uh, you know, because you see, yeah, you know, you see a lot of uh, famous actors, you know, happen to be born into entertainment families. I mean, a lot of times, right, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. 
and you know, there are certainly like you know to- someone like uh, Nick. Nicholas Cage, who mm-hmm. didn't want to, you know, didn't want to, his real name's Coppola, but he didn't want to get any attention for that. There are people yeah. who have had connections because of their mm-hmm. family, who they are, and and uh, and have tried not to use them. And, and that I, I can understand that because you want to be rewarded for your talent and not for the name you have or who your dad is. But Well, well yeah. I mean, granted. You know, I understand that. Look, if he had used the name Coppola, I don't think that would have helped put butts in the seats. What really mattered is he had the hookup, the rich resources that he had access to that helped to open doors for him in the industry was was more of a boon than, you know, than whether the moviegoers knew his name was Coppola or not. You know, I, I think that right. was probably immaterial at that point. Well, I've always thought it was really interesting that Martin Sheen had two sons and one used the name Sheen mm-hmm. and the other one used his real name Estevez and right. both of them became stars and both of them are household names yeah. and you know it it didn't seem to hurt either one of them or help either one of them more than the other well yeah I based mean, on the last name they had you know sure but you know uh having Martin Sheen for a father you know who may or may not have been helping their careers along, you know, through influence. I'm sure casting directors full well knew who either one of his sons were, were related to. It, oh, it yeah. It probably doesn't yeah, matter. Absolutely. And, and they were talented because their father was talented. And they, you know. Um, right. You know. I mean, they both did, you know, I love uh, Emilio Estevez in The Breakfast Club. I love sure. Charlie Sheen in uh, Ferris Bueller, um, you know. I, yeah, I just think anyone who's anyone who's worried about that and and lets it stand in their way mm-hmm. because they don't want to be known as this person, right. I, I get that to a certain degree. But at the same time, yeah, you know, well, you gotta for to show you can act. First, you gotta get the job. First, you gotta get cast. Right. And if if being someone's son gets you cast, then then show me how you can act. Well, that's true, and. You know, I mean, there are plenty of people who were born into, you know, famous families who don't necessarily have talent, and the the box office figures show that. I mean, look at Tori Spelling. <laughs> she, <laughs> you know, she, I mean, granted, she she did a lot of stuff because of her father's influence, but it didn't buy her a lot of stuff after that as far as you know, big movie roles because she didn't have them. Right. You know, she right. did a, yeah, she she had, did a bunch of shitty Lifetime movies after her days of, right, you know, right. working for her and, father. Uh, and a reality show, yeah. All right, there you go. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, Liza Minnelli and Lorna Luft, you know? <laughs> right. Liza Minnelli did okay, you know. Yeah. At, at least, yeah. Lorna Luft had a career. She's, mm-hmm. she's talented and had a career, but, you know, it's also, I don't know, I don't think Lorna Luft wanted to be Liza Minnelli. I don't think she wanted to be right. a huge name like, like Liza did. I think Lorna mm. Luft liked singing and wanted to be a singer and, and did what she wanted. And then when she was through doing it, she moved on with her life. Mm. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I don't think I know very much about Lorna Luft. Maybe we'll have to, we'll have to talk about that sometime. Google it. Google it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. All right, man. I know you wanted to talk about whether well, is, oh, is that the, do, are we finished with the um, segment of uh, the people who died? Oh yeah, that's the end of the people who died segment. Well, there we go. Cue music. Oh, 
All right. <laughs> yes. So sometimes we do get emails, believe it yeah. or not. Yeah, it's nice to see when we get a little feedback. And um, so anyway, I, we got this email from a guy named uh, Mit Neznetsirk. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Mit Neznetsirk. What a weird name. Maybe it's a pseudonym. All right. All right. Hmm. All right, Mitt. Let's see what Mitt had to say. He said, I don't know what the fuck you guys talk about for two hours, 45 minutes. I fast forward to the oblique strategy of the week. Mitt. (laughs) (laughs) This is a real email that I received, and I'm sure it was just a a joke related to what we were talking about, how (laughs) sometimes people fast forward through our show just to hear the oblique strategy of the week. So somebody took it upon themselves to to tell us that. To let us know that's what they do. Yeah, well, well... Thanks for listening to the Oblique Strategy of the Week. Is it Mitt or Mitt? It's Mitt, like Mitt, Mitt Romney. Yeah, like Mitt Romney. Mitt Neznetsirk. Like Catch, catcher's Mitt. Yeah, okay. What's that spell? What is it backwards? Uh, Tim Christensen. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Well, there it is. Mystery. Mystery solved. Mystery solved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, occasionally, occasionally Tim sends us sends us some 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 good emails. I don't know if you ever check the the email bin, but uh, I make sure that I do. I after, don't actually. I'm bad. This Tim has every now and again he likes to make a comment or two about something. So I I thought I'd mention that. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So well, thanks. Thanks, Mitt. Yeah, thanks, Mitt. <laughs> good, good to hear from you. Yeah, it'd Mitt. be great if some other listeners would tell us what they think is funny or what they like or hate about the show. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah, just uh, yeah, you my, can they can email my us. My nephew told me that he fast forwards through some stuff, so I yeah, don't, and I, I I get I, it. I wanted to ask him what he fast forwarded through, but I didn't. So yeah, why don't y'all email us at slope at ltvpod dot com. And tell us what you fast forward through. <laughs> Be interesting to know. Yeah. Hey, we, we we might yeah. t- we might tweak the show a little bit. You know, if you give us some feedback. Right. You know, or, if uh, you always fast forward through when we talk about Riverdale, well then, a you suck. You know, well I don't know. <laughs> Riverdale's Riverdale's starting to go downhill for me. I'm less and less enamored with it every episode. Oh, but okay, well um, we'll have to um, talk about that. Yeah, but, you know, it'd be interesting to know what people like and don't like. I would certainly be uh, glad to hear that uh, if it was presented in a constructive way. I, I, <laughs> I think you that's guys just suck for two hours and 45 uh, minutes. <laughs> well, hey, well, at least they're listening for that length of time, maybe. <laughs> All right. But uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. But, uh, well, since I brought up oblique strategies, or should I say since Mitt or Tim uh, brought up oblique strategies, have you heard of this thing called Grotesque Tables II? Nope. It is an anagram of oblique strategies. And so it's like Grotesque Ah. Tables Roman numeral 2 II. And Uh so Grotesque Tables is an anagram of oblique strategies, as I said. And... They are a set of cards that take all of the oblique strategy cards and make anagrams of what's written on the cards and have released it as this oh, Grotesque wow. Tables 2 or Grotesque Tables II. And so it's, 
available through a website created by a New York-based artist and conceptual musician, Noah Wall. Uh, oh, I see. I see. He didn't do the whole set. He did 50 of the original 113 strategies. He reworked uh, these helpful ideas into blissful abstractions. The results of his work are pretty wild, altering Eno's and Schmidt's suggestions such as use filters and breathe more deeply and be less critical more often into wonderfully bizarre phrases like let fissure and elope by mere thread and be frictionless latecomer so it's just (laughs) yeah it's like uh yeah use filters becomes Uh. let fissure (laughs) so it's bizarre I, I like I like his better yeah. than the Eno ones. <laughs> I know because it, you really have to think about them. Then you're like, what the fuck? Right? Yeah. And it says these cards even come with an Eno approved blurb. Let the oblique. <laughs> yes, Eno said, let the oblique strategies fissure into a million wonderful variants, of which this is the first. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool that um, there are people still interested in uh, the oblique strategies or at least using them as a uh, jumping off point and creating something new and weird and wonderful. That's Eno approved. Right? Yes. So Well, you can't beat that. Right, right. So, yeah, <laughs> I just happened to run across that, that news story. I think they came out about a year ago. And, uh, hmm. yeah, I, I believe the package is about the size of a deck of cards. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, yeah. So if, if there are 50 of them, they would fit perfectly in a, uh, a package about the size of a deck of cards. So Makes cool. sense. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. The Grotesque hmm. Tables 2, or I.I. 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 Captain. I.I. Captain. Yes, sir, Bob's. <laughs> cool. Did you say Tim sent an email about... Oh, songs. Austin songs? Yeah, Austin songs. He did send a, an email about Austin songs, uh, I think right after he sent the one about uh, Oblique Strategies. And uh, so uh-huh. he he was just kind of spitballing here. He said, just off the top of my head, Doug Som and the Gourds, uh, Get a Life is the name of the song. And he even put a quote from them. It's like, come on down to Austin Town and get a life. Is one of the lyrics in the song, <laughs> right? There's another one called uh, "Hell of a Spell," and it says, "Now it's all behind me. Austin's in the past. I think about the loves that didn't last." Is that that, also that one, Doug Sam. That's Doug, Doug Sam, yeah. And it, but but it mentions Austin's in the past, so well that that kind of knocks that one out of the running. So right, we, we right. might have to have a listening party and listen to some of these songs. Then there's a Willie Nelson song called Devil in a Sleeping Bag. And one of the lines in it is, <laughs> we were heading home to Austin, caught pneumonia on the road, was one of the lines out of that, uh, of course. Uh, then hmm. he mentions a song by Scott H. Byram called Truck Driver. And it's, I'm going to put that hammer down, baby, because Austin's just 20 more miles ahead. <laughs> so that sounds good there's a um wayne hancock I, I think i've heard that name before wayne hancock called a town blues mm-hmm. and uh right i think a lot of these a are a couple are, of those are, were uh mm-hmm. i think a couple of those were on that list i posted to the facebook page you're probably a, a right. link i found when i when i know the um i know there's a doug sam or psalm however you say it uh, a song. song on there and yeah 
Willie Nelson, and definitely the one you just mentioned I've already forgotten. Uh, Wayne Hancock, uh, A-Town Blues. Wayne Hancock. Yeah, yeah, I know that was on there. So. Yeah, I think I remember actually, seeing that on the post that you, you put up, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, apparently a song called Austin by some modern country singer. I did not have the balls to try and find it and listen to it. <laughs> oh, okay. That's funny. Yeah. I just... Most of the new country stuff is so horrible. I can't. I can't listen to it. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of people out there would that would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, there's a lot of people that would disagree too. So well, that's I mean, true. That, that, now that music makes money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, there's one one more on the list. It says also Gary P. Nunn has plenty of songs about Austin, uh, and he said I have a playlist at home about Austin that I'll go through. So. We may be getting another email from Tim. And, of course, Gary P. Nunn did the very famous song, the London Homesick Blues, which is, you know, I want to go home with the armadillo. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's definitely an Austin reference because it's talking about the armadillo world headquarters and which was in Austin for many, many years. Well, a couple of decades, I guess, in the 70s and now about ten years, it no longer exists. Of course, uh, you know there's there's a restaurant in its place. Actually, there's an office building in its place, and close to that <laughs> is close to that is Threadgills, which has a lot of uh, Armadillo World Headquarters memorabilia in it. Um, but, and is uh, is a pretty good restaurant to boot. But hell yeah, <laughs> I, I guess like- what I was thinking, you know. You know the song mm-hmm. Houston by uh, I don't even know who does that song. I think Dean Martin might have done a cover of it you know it's like oh, really? i'm going to houston houston mm-hmm. like there's no song like that there's no song that's like austin austin yeah I, 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 that's what i'm really looking for like a song you can right. play i agree 10 seconds of that people would immediately recognize right but you know there's i was thinking i i don't know is like maybe there is and I'm forgetting it, but it's like, is there even a song about Dallas? I don't even think there's a song about Dallas. Maybe there is, and I'm just losing my mind, but Yeah, there's a song. Have you ever seen Dallas from a DC nine at night? Who is that? Who sings that song? I uh, <laughs> never heard that song in my life. Uh, you know, uh ten seconds ago I could have told you the singer of that um that song. And I feel really well, Sad that I can't think of it right now. Well, that just reminded me that Ben Queller mentions Dallas in his song Falling, which is uh, oh. uh, uh, one of my favorite songs, and I totally forgot about that. But there's no song that's really like, you know, Houston is like a song about Houston. It's uh-huh. and I to me, I feel like people know that song. Maybe I'm crazy because it is an older song. Um, but the, why isn't there's there just should be a song that's just like Austin, right? <laughs> Austin. <laughs> Yeah, there's not an uh, not an obvious one, not an obvious one where Austin somehow is in the hook of the song and the and the chorus and and, you know, it's a song everybody knows. I I agree with you, though, that if I if there was a song that was about Austin that you had to choose one, the Gary P. Nunn song about back to the armadillo isn't that the one where as it goes on he also talks about writing the perfect country song no that's that's or is that a different one yeah that's a different song yeah that's i love that song but uh oh dallas from a dc9 at night i think joe ely band used to play that but i think it was written Ah. by somebody else um 
God, and I can't remember the songwriter's name. Jimmy Dale Gilmore, I think, wrote the song, but ah, it was made famous okay. by Joe Ely. Mm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was written by uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Houston but, has another song, too. Houston is Hot Tonight by Iggy Pop, which isn't a well-known song, but it, he does mention Houston in it many times. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we need to find a song just like that that's about Austin. Yeah. You know? Hey, maybe we need that to we go... Can. We need to go digging around the Dick's um, archive and find a song because they're like the penultimate I'm, Austin punk band from I'm back in the day. Willing, yeah. I'm certainly willing to go digging around the Dick's. So. <laughs> <laughs> you just let me know when that's happening. <laughs> Comedy gold. Comedy gold. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's our that that's our segment on Austin. 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 Austin, Austin. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe we'll have to write uh, our own song. We'll write our own new, I, well, I think, new wave. I think punk we already song. have. Well, there, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we just need to get some a musical a musical accompaniment to it. Yeah, we need something. You're right. I'll throw in we some power. I'll throw in some power chords. All right. Cool. <laughs> Austin. Austin. You fucker. No, it's gotta be. Austin. Gotta be fast and and fast. You know. <laughs> At 500 BPM. Oh wow, that's a fast song. Uh, that's, that is a fast song. I guarantee you. That'll that'll make you have spasms and seizures. <laughs> yes. As long as you have a. <laughs> As long as you're looking at a strobe light while listening to it. Yeah. Why Why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. That's, that's the best way. All right. All Come right. Here. You ready? I know we're almost out of time. Yeah. Um, you want to do a quick uh, TV, TV yeah. heaven segment? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do our TV heaven segment. Cue music. Okay. Yes, TV okay. heaven. Right. Um, so hey, earlier you mentioned uh, that mm-hmm. uh, you watched an episode of Outsider about Las Rojas. Oh, I did. Wow, I am I am hooked on this thirty-minute-long documentary about movies that never made a go of it. Uh, so it's, 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 it's awesome. Sad because um, they've done four. Yeah. Um, we talked about the first one that was uh, Grandmaster T.K. Kim and uh, right. the Miami Connection. Mm-hmm. There was another one about a guy who made a movie called Bird Dimmick. That's really a great episode. Yeah, I'm going to have to l- um, look that up. Uh, there's a, The third one was about a guy named David Rock Nelson who makes these crappy VHS movies. Cool. That was also amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the Las Rojas one. Uh, there is not one this week, and I looked all throughout the week, and there are no new episodes on Vice coming right. up that I can find. I looked it up on Internet Movie Database, and all it showed was, yeah, the, those four episodes. And I'm like, wow, well, that's weird. I mean, is, is that all we're going to get? Yeah. You know, so I hope there's more, because I Me know too. there's more to to more subjects that they could do. Right. Um, and, although uh, the four that they did... These are amazing. Uh, I mean, it was so neat to learn about these four mm-hmm. filmmakers who I've never heard of. I've never even 
you know, I'm fairly familiar with film and uh, even obscure and oddball stuff, mm-hmm. and I've never heard of any of these people uh, right. this or is, any of these movies. Yeah, this is real underground stuff. I mean, uh, to, for the listeners, the show is Outsider. It's on Vice. And, yeah, just from seeing this one uh, about Laz Rojas, Man with a Hundred Faces, I definitely want to see the other three episodes. Um, I, I like the style yeah. of the, uh, the the documentarians and the and the interviewers because it's like they truly care about their subjects. They're not trying to make fun of these people. They they actually give a shit about their subjects. It's a, yeah, it's a real celebration of mm-hmm. these movies and these these people who made them. It 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 certainly it doesn't poke fun at them by any means although it does show them for who they really are which is another thing i like well, about it true it's unvarnished for sure yeah for yeah. sure the laz rojas you know laz rojas is living in a motel it's really sad yeah living in a motel 15 days of the month then his money runs out and he lives in a car for the other 15 days and he has a mother his mother who's with him mm-hmm. all the time and so she's kind of a bedridden yeah, invalid, I think. Exactly. And that that part of the story was yeah, heartbreaking. It it was really tough because it almost got exploitative um with mm. that because I was like, well, they they don't do they they do sh- take him, you know, to a film festival where they're showing his movies and they give him a night of this kind of the stardom and adoration he's he's craving. Yes. But there's no, you know, you wonder next the next month is he going to be right back in the car in the motel? You know, well, there's there's. But I, you know, I I agree, and I think there that is definitely a danger. But you know, it's very possible that he could parlay this into where he's doing tours of art houses across the country, displaying the film and doing you know the question and answer type. Uh, stuff afterwards like he did you right. know at the end of uh, this episode of outsider um well you know yeah you yeah. could easily I mean, the, the episode of that. outsider will help mm-hmm. too i think yeah right i mean I, that. I could easily see this guy coming to the alamo draft house here in town or austin film society and and showing his stuff and and doing a q a afterwards and you know and and maybe parlay some sort of a living out of it because he certainly you know isn't doing very well otherwise i mean right i, I would say I mean, work I, it for whatever it's worth i mean i think of the four directors that or filmmakers that they showcased mm-hmm. on this show yeah you know the guy the grand grandmaster tk kim he made a movie 35 years ago he's right he's got a full life now as a as a martial arts expert as a motivational speaker sure he's, he has a, a real life yeah um then there's a the guy who did burn Demick is actually he's working on his films he's slightly delusional i think uh, david uh-huh. rock nelson ha- has a real job and makes movies for fun mm-hmm. but laz rojas seems uh, too, a little too delusional you know he seems yeah. he's if he he has nothing the man 
needs to get a job. He needs to give up this dream and give well, a job, get a real job true. and then maybe spend the weekends working on this dream or something. Mm-hmm. He just seemed he he made me sad. The it, yeah. other ones it was a sad were, story. Were more of a celebration. Yeah, the other ones are more of a celebration of the films and the filmmakers and the filmmakers although they seem quirky and and maybe even slightly delusional, mm-hmm. they don't seem incapable of taking care of themselves. Laz Rojas seems incapable of taking care of himself. Well, and, and is yeah. Uh, I, I, as far it, it as just, earning a living, to be sure, yeah, he's yeah right. I mean, I think it, it's harmed him and his mother that you know they're really just living hand to mouth. I mean, I I don't know what kind of check they get every month that lasts them half of the month so that they can live in a hotel for half of the month. I don't know, is it a disability for his mother's getting disability or social security or I have no idea, but, um, who knows? Yeah. Right. But I mean, the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing with Laz Rojas is he, I can't remember when he made this movie. Was it like the early nineties? This, uh, demo reel that he made. Yeah. yeah. Right. He's really, he really, yeah. He wanted to be an actor, and so he thought that the best way to do that was to showcase his versatility as an actor. So he took it upon himself to film himself as a hundred different characters in this movie that he made, which was really kind of a, a unique demo reel that he could show to casting directors and agents and stuff. But, you know, it's, according to the, the show, whoever he handed it out to... You know, he either got no response or told that he, he was shit and that he he would never make it in the business. So right, I think he got and, one response, and that was a response: give up. Right. Yeah. But after seeing it, seeing you know the technical skill that he used using very difficult tools to work with. I mean, he was editing on basically just two VCRs and having doing linear editing. You know, without the ability to pre-roll the recording tape. Now I'm getting technical here. I only know this because I, you know, we we did Loop TV and the first 42 episodes we did, 42 plus episodes we did were all done on linear editing, where you know you've got these right. two, you know, but it was a professional system to where right. you you know. I mean, you, that's what I. But that's he, what I did with Showbo. You know, as Showboat, I did it exactly all linear there. Yeah. Right. But Laz Rojas didn't didn't have that professional equipment, so he would have to hit the record button and realize that there's a delay between when you push that button. And so he was doing a pre-roll in his head say, in order to you know edit this thing. And then where he got all of the costumes, because he was playing both men and women in this demo reel, and some of it was very seductive uh, stuff. So it was like, okay, is he also... You know, kind of a cross-dresser, too, but and he was like, no, no, or, or is he gay? And he's like, no, no, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know. I wonder, where did he get all these wigs and all these different— Right, was, well— was he, was he raiding his mother's uh, uh, closet for these for all these dresses and lingerie, or where was he getting all the money to purchase this stuff at the time? I mean, you make an interesting point because he makes a very specific— point of mentioning that he's not gay but he does mm-hmm. not say i'm not a crossdresser or i'm not a transvestite or whatever right. he just sp- denies uh, being gay right um but i think he was for, definitely for whatever that means definitely had crossdresser tendencies because he put a lot of work into making himself believable as you know a female and they also showed some what do they call them like uh, uh 
music video edits where he's like, you know, showing his leg and, and ass, you know, in, right. in pantyhose. Mm-hmm. He called them like Playboy or, or centerfold videos or something. Okay. Um. Yeah. It, yeah. That when they started talking about that, I'm like, what is what is this about? Right. I think he has more than one tape. I mean, I think he didn't. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So of, of the thing, it was like a hundred different type of. That's what, that's why they call it, you know, man with a hundred faces. And he was doing, you know, like he would play, you know, women, men of various ages, even a couple of children. He he played in part of the, one of the demos. He he did blackface. Black characters in blackface. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, I, yeah. mean I mean, I just I feel sorry for the guy. Mm-hmm. I felt like of of all four of the people they they highlighted mm-hmm. that his he was a very sad person who obviously de- who I mean, I realize he has no money, so there's no way he could take the I don't even know if you can get his work on DVD, you know, like if uh-huh. he set up a mail order DVD company, would that make him some money? Is that even something he could do? He had boxes and boxes in storage of scripts and things, and it right. just seemed delusional he just seemed delusional and i felt sorry for him and i felt like when a show like outsiders does a spotlights a person like that and like you like we've said it's an unvarnished Mm -hmm. you know they you know thing right then they just leave and he's back to his life and i don't feel like they're like that's exploitative to a certain degree. Well, it is, but in my I mean, book, by being the subject of this documentary, I think he's been given a great opportunity. Like I said, to to parlay it into you know kind of a novelty act. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but it it really is, you know. But well, yeah, I could easily see him go go traveling all over the country. And 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 exhibiting this thing, as, 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 you know, granted as as a complete novelty, but hey, it would be a living because he ain't he right. ain't, well, he ain't making it the way but he's I doing think, it with his delusions. But I think in order to do that, he would need help from someone, and maybe the producers have done something to help him, and yeah. just haven't haven't tooted their own horn on the show or whatever. Could be, um, but uh, but you know, someone someone definitely has to step up and help him, and. Mm-hmm. And if if nobody does, then uh, that's a, that's a shame. Even though I think it, yeah. it would be hard for someone to help him, someone would you know. Uh, he's he's definitely, but you know it's funny. Like one of the episodes you haven't seen is the guy who does did a movie called Birdemic. Yeah, Bird, which is like bird epidemic, Birdemic. Right. It's, it's a great episode. I can't wait for you to see it. Okay. Um, and this is a. This is a guy who is is a he's a very smart guy and he certainly isn't homeless or anything like that. I mm-hmm. I don't know if he works mm-hmm. doing other jobs, but his dream is to to have a big studio. He's done I think four of the films, Birdemic films. And oh wow! The, and the the special effects in them are just god awful. Yeah. And he. Uh, he has a dream of um, a studio picking it up and making a real Birdemic film with a real budget. Oh, that's his dream. Okay. And it's and and um, so the guy, one of the, the guys, there's two guys who do these outsiders that I that I've seen. One is mm-hmm. Zach Carlson, mm-hmm. and then the other guy's name is Evan Hussey, Husney. And Evan Husney w- worked for um, the Alamo Draft House. 
on on their film label. He was actually the a producer, you know, so he had a lot to do with Miami Connection getting shown and released. Right. Um and he's he's also friends with this guy who made Birdemic and has uh, actually worked for him. And I think they worked on uh, making a, a documentary together. I think he actually worked on the original Birdemic film. Anyway, he sets up the guy, the director of Birdemic with a real Hollywood agent. And the Hollywood agent tells the director of Birdemic that he should try making short films and try doing all these other things. The Birdemic guy doesn't want to hear it at all. He just wants someone to give him a million dollars so he can make a studio version. He's delusional, too. Okay. Um, He has has these real unrealistic dreams of being taken seriously Mm -hmm. when his movies are – and I mean to a certain degree he understands that his movies are bad and that – people see them in a like a cult movie you right. know in a way but well he wants but, to be appreciated uh, in his life like ed wood you know is appreciated now though not appreciated during his life right. Mm-hmm. right but he has that same delusion ed wood had that if someone would just give him some money he can make a masterpiece yeah you know right and um um so i mean but it's not as sad as the uh, las rojas episode where uh, you know, uh, the, he's the guy's living in his car, and, and right. You know, his mother's dying, and and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, it's it's definitely an interesting freaking series, and I hope there's more of them. Yeah, well, yeah, I ho- I want to see the other three, and you know, already though, yeah, I hope that they make more than just this total of four. Right. It isn't what I expected it to be, too, although it could become this and this or it could evolve. Mm. You know, if they you know, there's certainly other filmmakers that would deserve an episode of Outsider that maybe, you know, like even an episode about Ed Wood would be interesting, even though he's not making movies anymore or, you know, right. And he's he's fairly well known. But there are other but, filmmakers out there uh, that are somewhat well known, but it'd be great to expose them to a larger audience. Right. Because even, even if they don't make films anymore. Right. I mean, that's a very broad term outsider. I mean, there, there are a lot of people that fit that category though, you know, not necessarily say as sad as Las Rojas. Um, but right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, I mean like someone like Ed Wood certainly had a sad life too. And, and mm, just true. Uh, Barely at the end of his life, just barely saw some recognition coming mm-hmm. as a cult kind of a thing. Right. Um, but really didn't didn't really get to experience that. Um, but, yeah, there you know, uh, there's a ton of small filmmakers and I'm sure there are more that are working out there now that, that we're unaware of. Definitely. That would, would be interesting story. So I hope there's more. Yeah, there's bound to be. Millions of uh, Linklater wannabes who are much younger than, (laughs) you know, in Austin alone. My God, I'm sure there are a lot of, uh, you know, who's that guy that uh, I I was I was searching for uh, a few months ago that did that uh, the movie Vacancy. uh, What was his name? Uh, Something Bust. I can't. Richard Bust or Alan Bust or (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Ryan Bust. Yes, Ryan Bust. Who, you know, he was going to be the next big thing in his own mind. And, you know, I, I can't I can't even find a, a, a valid email address for him anymore. So, you know. Right, right. Be somebody like him 
would be interesting to I mean, find. I certainly, I, I can think of a filmmaker, I won't say his name, but mm-hmm. uh, a, a filmmaker that I met at Slam Dance in 2000 mm-hmm. when we went, um, who made a short film that I thought was really interesting. And then, uh, so I wrote a lot about it on File 13 when we were doing the website, of course. Uh-huh. And then, like, within the next year, he sent me a new short film he was working on that was a horrible piece of shit. And oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, this guy just got lucky once, you know? <laughs> and uh, and it was just a, a fluke that he made a film that had an interesting point. Um, uh-huh. and, and yeah, there's there's got to be a ton of guys out there like that that would be good and interesting enough to make a half-hour TV show about. Right, yeah. Considering the number of film school students that graduate all the time and have big dreams, there's bound to be plenty of shattered ones out there. <laughs> I hate Absolutely. to say. I hate to say. You know. Well, you know, we don't want to, don't want it to be exploitative. Right. But, uh, yeah, of course not. Is that, am I saying it right? Exploitative doesn't sound right. I think just say exploitive. Exploitive. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, you, you don't want people to be exploited, but at right. the same time, for the most part, Outsider celebrates these guys for yeah. their beautiful weirdness and, and their mm-hmm. amazing uh, uh, ability to, to, to do this work with little money and little recognition and still remain po- – I mean, for the most part, right. um, even Laz Rojas, to a certain deg- degree, is a positive person. He truly yeah. believes in his, in his – greatness right i mean he's he's an amazing optimist so who knows maybe he will be the the latest bloomer of them all <laughs> as he, he could to, be to quote him i don't know we'll yes we'll, absolutely yeah we'll, we'll keep an eye on him i know he has an online presence so we'll uh we need, we'll do a little searching and see do some follow-up yeah. on that yeah be interesting to see mm-hmm. well hey we should we should we're running out of time we should talk about Bates and um Riverdale real quick right okay mm-hmm. you know the last episode was the one where uh Norman calls at the end of the episode and and says he's killed someone Sam Loomis and then right then we begin with the episode after that where he gets arrested and he's in mm-hmm. jail and and mama takes over all right and this was an episode directed by freddie highmore and i gotta tell you i was completely disappointed in it oh really hmm okay totally okay well so first off first off he when he's in jail the the uh the sheriff doesn't really believe believe him when he says that he's he murdered sam loomis she thinks he's just trying to uh get attention because he's he's lonely, so which first yeah, off I mean, seems that just seems a little weird. Um, doesn't didn't make any sense. Okay. Um, and then yeah, I don't know who wrote this episode, but I thought it was horrible. Um, yeah, all uh, that doesn't make any sense. And then um, th- then we've had this character of Chick for the last two years. Mm-hmm. They just shoot him in the head for no reason. Oh yeah, Chick's done now. We don't really know what to do with this fucking character, so let's have Alex shoot him in the head. Well, uh, what a waste. What a waste of my fucking time, man. Okay, yeah, I was a little disappointed in the fact that, yeah, that, you know, Chick, you know, finding out that, you know, Norman's in jail and the house is empty, decides to move into the basement. And, of course, yeah, the unlucky bastard, you know, just happens to be there when ex-Sheriff Romero shows up and 
Romero's in a pissed off mood and Chick just pokes him with a stick until Romero just explodes and yeah and uh, pretty much offs Chick and yeah it was kind of a, a missed opportunity pointless. there yeah it was kind of Point, completely pointless and completely turned you know the whole Chick character into completely pointless character that character meant nothing the right. whole series could have happened without that character and and it's just a waste of my time yeah. I was furious well it was, I'm just, just completely disappointed in it yeah it was a pretty sad end to the Chick arc alright I, I agree with yeah, that part I don't okay mm-hmm but um, I mean the the whole thing of Norman while he's in jail and and basically fighting uh, with the the Norma persona over control over his body was pretty interesting, especially when you know the Norma persona slams um, Norman's head onto the toilet while he's in the thing, and then at that point you realize, oh, okay, oh. she's oh you bastard, <laughs> bastard. <laughs> But that's when, you know, she has she has completely taken over at that point, you know. I mean, yeah. there were glimmers of, of of good in this episode, you know, amongst all of the I just think the bad. <laughs> for one, yeah, for one thing to have Highmore direct this episode, which is kind of like uh-huh. you know, it's the third episode before the end of the series, so a kind of a climactic episode right. where he's in probably 70% of the episode. Yeah. Uh, he you know, he was way more concentrated on his acting than he was on directing because directing oh. wise it was a it was very boring and pedestrian and mm. there was nothing special or interesting about the 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 way this the episode was directed in my opinion. It okay. was completely standard and you know I love Freddie Highmore. I but I was yes. like, wow, how, why would they have him direct this episode where he's in 70 percent of the shots? Because mm-hmm. he because he really he had I mean, and his acting was great. It always is. Right. But but he had no you know, there was he had no room to explore as a director. Um, it was a, a completely standard, uh, typical episode in that in that sense, cinematically, in my opinion. OK, well, it, I mean, it progressed the plot. At least, you know. <laughs> Granted, right. we only have how many episodes well, left? Two? Two. Yeah, there's only yeah. two left. Hmm. All right. I'm trying to think of some of the other uh, things that happened in the episode. Uh, there was a cool scene where um, uh, uh, Highmore, being controlled by Norma, mm-hmm. tries to blame uh, Madeline tries to say that, oh, I fell in love with Madeline and, right. you know, I was covering for her and the, and the sheriff doesn't really believe that either. No, they didn't believe that for, you know, even a second. Though the Norma persona thought, wow, that he, she was being very clever, but uh, turned out right, not to yeah. be the case. Especially not when, you know, they, they ultimately find Sam Loomis's body in the well and obviously, there's no fucking way that uh, that uh, Madeline Loomis could have dragged a body through the the forest and thrown it in. So that was pretty much blew that whole thing away. So right, right, yeah. I mean, the you, you know. know his acting doing that scene as Norman controlled by Norma. Mm-hmm. So really, Norma trying to sell this. I fell in love. It's all Madeline's fault. Right. Story. Yeah. The acting was amazing. Yeah, that you was totally by. You totally buy it, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, well. You know, I 
Yeah, you, you totally... I can't fault Ty Moore for his acting, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. I mean, acting was, was stellar in it, so yeah, maybe. Maybe it wasn't the best I episode, just... but I mean, like I said, it, it progressed the storyline, so I mean, there's that. <laughs> when it ends with them, basically ends with them killing Chick, I was just like, all right. Okay, yeah. Fuck you. You think they... they... I mean, that's like a... Three episodes away from the conclusion, then they jumped the shark. Well, I think it was just a real fuck you to the viewer. It's like, yeah, yeah, we created this character. He's done some stuff. You thought maybe he would have something important to do at the end. Uh-huh. But no, we created him to just to kill him. And I mean, I suppose there could be, well, we wanted to, we wanted to show that Alex was an asshole, was bent on revenge and was a killer. Right. But right. we already know that. They don't have to tell us that. We know that. True. However, Chick... At least he's got all these typed pages that, you know, maybe someone will find during the last episode. And so his his living wasn't for naught. You know, he may help to. Right. You know, I mean, as far well, as you know. his impact on that Bates Motel universe. But yeah, otherwise, yeah. I mean, to us, the viewer. Yeah, it was it, it was it was a big, you know, thumb up the ass. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you for for paying attention to the characters and yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, as, um, it's kind of a waste. We'll see what happens. Two more episodes, so it's going to be. I'm certainly interested to see how they wrap it up because right. you know at this point we've veered far from. We've gone down a slippery slope away from where the film was. Um, so they've created this whole other right storyline and universe and and i'm Mm. certainly still interested in seeing how they wrap it all up but and like you say i've been wrong before maybe the chick character will come back to be relevant in a way that i didn't foresee um certainly Mm -hmm. possible um but i'm you know i'm not i'm not done with the show (laughs) maybe it'll be another character in uh, norman's head going forward oh interesting (laughs) that would be interesting he'll take on the chick persona And that would be interesting. Yeah, he'll start delivering dead animals to himself. So he would be a dude and a chick and a dude named Chick all in one person. <laughs> yes. Walking around with uh, bags of dead raccoons. <laughs> you want to see my opossum? Um, okay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, okay. All right, and I had... I had the same blah feeling about the latest episode of Riverdale, yeah. which was the episode with Jughead's birthday. Right, Jughead's birthday, where ev- will- everybody goes batshit crazy in uh, an alcohol party, a big beer bust. So, yeah, yeah. I-, I will be honest, I lost mm-hmm. track of time and I missed like the first 15 minutes, so I don't know what oh, happened at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, do you remember anything important happening? Like I got in on it where Jughead and Betty are at the movies. I think it's I think and, yeah, the first 15 minutes is just setting up what what's going to happen the rest of the episode. You know, Archie's, you know, learns that his dad is going to meet with uh, his mother and they're they're going to, you know, finalize a, a divorce and Archie's you know, he's not very comfortable with that issue. It, Fred's, you know, going to be gone for the weekend, you know, taking care of this business. And um, let's see, what else? Archie spills that it's Jughead's birthday. And yeah, Betty starts her planning uh, or attempting ah, okay. to uh, organize a, a party. Uh, did you see Cheryl and Veronica having a big dance-off over control of the uh, the cheerleading crowd? 
That was another nope, thing. Nope, I missed that. Okay. Uh, okay. Ah, uh, okay. That was a thing. Um, hmm. Uh, I guess uh, the whole deal of, you know, Veronica d- giving a deposition to uh, the lawyer to help her father. Yeah. Saw most of that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, that's, yeah. That's pretty much, yeah. you know, all that was going I on at the saw- beginning. Did you see you saw the return you saw the return of Chuck the sexual harasser guy? Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. Fo- football player, I, okay. Right. I just thought, you know, the the whole I don't know. They, they you know, I feel like this show has gone downhill steadily as the season has progressed. It's just um, but I don't know. There's episodes that are good and bad, but this mm-hmm. one I just thought was was super boring, super contrived. Oh yeah, we'll all have a party and then we'll all start telling secrets. Oh, how original. How what a yeah. great way to further uh expose uh the you know, right. the, the story, further expose characters and the yeah. further exposition. That was that was rather contrived when Cheryl and, you know, her crowd, you know, arrive with, you know, the kegs and and, you know, 30 other people to crash Jughead's birthday party. And what you you were talking about, the whole the truth or dare or whatever the game they were playing was called. Let's tell our secrets. Yeah, let's tell our whatever. secrets game. Yeah, that um, just, yeah. Yawn, yeah. dumb, hated it. I sure. mean, even I get that. even even uh, Cole Sprouse's Jughead um, kvetching about how he's an outsider mm-hmm. and he's different from other people and all this stuff. Even that wasn't interesting. I was like, damn, right. if Cole can't get me into the fucking show, then nothing can. <laughs> I think maybe one interesting thing is they they were exploring this whole, you know, what the fuck is wrong with Betty thing is does she have some mental issues that are slowly starting to come out well with the rearrival of chuck kind of dredge that up and you know she's digging her nails into her palms you know to the point of causing herself to to bleed etc and uh well the good part of that was that you know hey Betty realizes that she's just as fucked up as Jughead <laughs> you know by the end of the episode right right and, right uh, so that, so I don't know where they're going with this. Betty has got this uh, dark underbelly. She's the embodiment of, uh, of of Riverdale in one person. It seems right you now. She seems like right. you know this sweet sweet uh, girl next door type, but underneath the surface, there's there's some serious shit going on. So you know, right, I was able to grab a, was... little, a little bit of meaning out of this episode. Well, yeah, it wasn't the best. It was who, mostly a beer bust. Who was it that saw Jughead's dad and realized, mm-hmm. oh, it was Veronica, saw mm-hmm. Jughead's dad and realized that was the person she saw giving her mom money. Yeah. For the So she knows now that Jughead's right. dad is part of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, I guess, I mean, right, and all the truth has come out about um, the fact that it was you know her father that bought the land that the uh, drive-in theater was on. More people know about that now. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, and Archie and Veronica slept together. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. They, they fucked. They, they fucked. They did indeed. Yep. <laughs> um. Yep. What's Kevin Keller's boyfriend's name? That's in the Serpents. Joaquin. Joaquin. Yeah. Yeah. Joaquin. Um, you know, shows his. Well, that he's providing inside information to what's Jughead's dad's name? JT FP. FP. That's it, right? 
Fucking prick, I think is is what his name is. Really. <laughs> I um, it it's funny. I know you don't watch Family Guy very often, but there's an episode where uh-huh. the, the Family Guy is and his friends are are on a cruise ship and they do some. They they say they just shot some skeet and then they show them mm-hmm. r- rolling out Skeet Ulrich on the on a, <laughs> a a gurney and he's he's he says something to to uh, the black guy uh, Cleveland uh-huh. and, and Cle- Cleveland says to him There's nothing good about who you are or what you do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ooh. I gotta, uh, so uh, yeah. I got I gotta find I that episode about that when now. You called him, I thought about what? that when you called him a fucking prick. <laughs> There's nothing good about who you are or what you do. <laughs> well, it's definitely true of the character he's playing. Uh, yeah, at this point, so yeah, right. I mean, I you know, I I still like the show. I, I'm still willing to give it a chance. I I hope uh, you know. Sometimes shows don't go where you want them to go. I. I uh, for example, I won't talk about it much, but I watched the last episode, the season finale of The Fosters, mm-hmm. and it had a fucking horrible storyline, too, that pissed uh, me off. And I was like, what? Okay. Why would you go there? It's such a waste of time. But anyway. Uh, um, oh, but um, at the end of, at the end of the episode of Riverdale, what happened? Well, the only thing that was good, Molly Ringwald showed up. Molly Ringwald showed up, and uh, she yeah. looks she looks a little older. She's been around the oh, block yeah. a little bit. So she, she's as old as we are. So. Right, right. So Sierra and I are watching the show, and uh, you know Molly Ringwald finally appears, and and uh, and Molly Ringwald is uh, talking, and Sierra turns to me and goes, "Did she have a stroke?" <laughs> I, I was like, "No, she's just old, like, honey." She, no, it's like. <laughs> Well, Molly Ringwall always kind of had a crooked mouth, so I I don't know why <laughs> this is the first time. Yeah, that's time. true. Yeah, so anyway. Well, I don't um, even know how. She was only on screen for like 15 seconds. I don't even know how she had time to notice. I don't know. So. She only she only, <laughs> said, she only said a few words, so, but uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was like. It was just, but it was a purely organic comment on her part. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just made me laugh. Um, even though I was, yeah. even though I was happy to see Molly Ringwald finally make her appearance on the show, and I look forward to seeing what how that storyline is going to go, because it kind of looks like, hey, Fred and uh, and uh, uh, Archie's mom are getting back together, maybe. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. I hope she's, or at least, at least maybe she'll be around more, and so, yeah. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I, I'm still, I'm still giving the show a chance. I hope sure. it does. I hope it does something great, but um, uh, it needs to really reverse course quickly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it needs to, it needs to be dark, and it needs to be t- uh, Lynchian and Twin Peaksian, and uh, they need to keep exploring the difference between the the generations and yeah. It, that will con- make it continue to be good, but we'll see how it goes. So right, I, I just um, I just don't want to see a, a, a supernatural crossover with R- yeah Riverdale. Now, where did you hear that rumor? Yeah. 
about uh oh i just saw it online in a few places oh okay well let's hope that never happens that's that's definitely when the shark jumping has occurred absolutely if if there's Mm -hmm. a zombie i'm yeah like i said in last episode or two episodes ago sabrina the teenage witch even if she showed up it better be something unique and different and not just a freaking witch yeah a, a teenage girl who thought she was a witch that would be cool but a teenage girl who really is a witch? No. Yeah. Well, what I'm worried about, especially after this last episode, it turns out that Betty is a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> if oh, that no! if that happens, I am done. I'm out too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I'll only give them three seasons for Archie and Jughead to kiss. If Archie and Jughead haven't kissed by the end of season three, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Or I'll take Jughead and Kevin Keller or uh, yeah. uh, uh, Jughead and Reggie. I'm not real picky about who he kisses, but right. there better be some dude kissing. There better be some a lot more. Jughead better kiss a dude. I think that's, well, I think there that's was, totally feasible. There was definitely a lot of dude kissing in this past episode with Joaquin and uh, Kevin Keller. Yeah, that was that was nice. <laughs> okay. I just, you know. So you, ha- you, I just t- you have I'm, to appreciate it, just, it on that level. Yeah, I just think it sucks that, you know, uh, Joaquin might be playing him. Um, well, I don't even but, know. I didn't even know if he's playing Kevin Keller in any way. He's really just kind of a spy regarding the whole Lodge, you know, deal, you know? The whole, right, yeah, you know, Lodge yeah. and uh, uh, what's the other family, the redheaded family? Bloom. Cheryl Bloom. Was it Bloom? Right? Yeah, Jason yeah. Bloom, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the Bloom family and the and the lodges, and I don't think you know Kevin Keller necessarily unless it starts to affect uh, Veronica. Then yeah, then I guess you know indirectly it it yeah it's a problem for Kevin Keller. So yeah, we'll see. Hey, one one more quick question: Did you watch Talking with Chris Hardwick? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. It's kind of interesting. I know that he had on. Um, oh gosh, who's the actor that he had on his first show? Elijah Wood. Right. Okay. Yeah. I saw well, it was it. smart to have Elijah Wood on because mm-hmm. Elijah Wood's a great interview. Right. Um, yep. So, yeah. It, anyway, I just wanted to – I watched it. I thought it was interesting. It'll be uh, interesting to see what he does, Who's on? who comes on next. Yeah. Um, did they talk also, about – also mentioned – Did they talk about Dirk Gently? Dirk Dently. <laughs> Dirk, Dirk Dently. Gently did not come up. That's weird. Surprisingly. Mm, um, but they also network. said that that um, the the they record the interview for and they're going to put it on Nerdist on the Nerdist podcast website, uh-huh. and that there will be there's a longer and uncensored <laughs> version that will be put up on the Nerdist website. So uh, so okay. he is doing it kind of as the Nerdist TV show. Ah, uh, well, that's what I figured. You know, it, it it makes perfect sense. You know, why not turn that podcast into a, a, a tv show because you know he does he does well on tv as as a host of a show so yeah why not yeah you know well and like i say if he continues to have i mean elijah wood's a great interview because he's a really right. talkative open you know he he, he plays along he mm-hmm. he you know so he's self-aware he talked to, yeah talked about his career and things he did as a kid and a young person and of course cool. the hobbit which is what nerdist type people love the most in the world so whatever um, yeah 
So it it was it, it, it's interesting. I'm gonna try and catch a couple more episodes and just see what he does with it. Okay, well, um, but I can yeah. see if he had. No, now that you mention it, I guess. think I may uh, you know attempt it as well. Why not? Yeah, I think if he had a bad guest, it would be detrimental. But right, but we'll see what happens. So yeah. All right, man. Okay, cool. So Anything shall... else you want to talk about? No, I think we're good. I mean, we're we've already gone past the three hour mark, so maybe we ought to start winding <laughs> things down. <laughs> okay, but that's yeah, okay. Why not? I mean, you know, there's... it's gonna be okay, man. It's gonna be okay. Why don't, right, we, why don't we why don't we do an oblique strategy and get the hell out of here? All right, sounds good. All right, um, oblique strategy. The question is: Should we continue to do long shows? <laughs> okay, sure. Here we go. Let's see. And the answer is the answer is remove a restriction. Hmm. Well, there you go. We can go for hours, Browner. Apparently, four-hour, five-hour shows. Sure. Wow. See. Since we started asking a specific question, the uh, the oblique strategies have become more relevant. Oh, because they're actually questions that mean something to us, you know? Yeah. You know, it's it's not just uh, getting it, having an answer, and then trying to fit it to something. Now it's putting up a question and then letting the answer reveal itself. So okay. Yeah, I think. Remove yeah. all restrictions? Is that what the card says? It says remove a restriction. Oh, well, so we've we, had this restriction on time, so... Yeah, now, you know, who knows? Okay, well... Yeah. We'll uh, we'll consider that. Of course, I don't know. So uh, doing, doing three hours, that's, that's pretty hard on our listeners, but... <laughs> I mean... They can skip over those. Just skip over the parts you don't want to... Well, I put a list true. up that pretty much goes... You know, I put a list up on uh, since I've been doing for the last couple of weeks the kind of rundown of the show right. on the website and on Facebook. There's a list of what we're talking about. So just kind of yeah. follow the list. And if something doesn't look interesting, skip ahead a little bit. Right. Why not? Yeah, it's been a good episode, Lodger. I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, well, it, I enjoy every episode we do together because it's to me, it's just a fun conversation. And hopefully to our listeners, it's it's an interesting conversation to uh, overhear. So, you know. I hope so, too. And they can participate by emailing us or um, coming and liking our Facebook page and, and making comments, etc. So, mm-hmm. it's all good. We're going on and on. We're, so, I'm just going to implore our listeners to slide in next week for another fabulous episode of A Slippery Slope. Ain't nothing gonna break my stride. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs>